Good to have you here. It is three and out on this Wednesday. It's Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Glad you're making us a part of your day. Also streaming live ESPNCoastal.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. College football, it will be here before you know it. The countdown is on to that first full Saturday of college football. South Carolina coming off a uh, wonderful season. Uh, really finished strong there in Columbia last year. And we are pleased to be joined by the head football coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks, Coach Shane Beamer joins us here on 3 and Out. Coach, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me on. How do you carry over that momentum from uh, from 2021 and uh, and pick up? I know you lost uh, some some guys, some key contributors, but carry that momentum here into 2022. Uh, just hard work. Um, you know, every year is different, and we had a lot of momentum coming off of last season and the way we played in the bowl game. Uh, but it's a new year, and uh, there's a lot of returning players, but there's also a lot of new faces, and and that's the challenge and key every year is how quickly can you come together as a team. And there is a lot of momentum right now about South Carolina football, and, and uh, we're, we will continue to you know to have that momentum. We're just getting started here uh, as a program uh, with this staff, and excited about the future, and excited about the way our guys are working right now. What are your priorities here in uh, in uh, fall camp ahead of obviously a big season? Like you said, a lot of people around the country talking about your program, talking about the Gamecocks. What are you focusing on here this month? Uh, just that, you know, uh, like I said a minute ago, coming together as a team and and uh, realizing that there's a lot of new faces and how quickly can we come together and gel as as uh, as a team. And we certainly got some competitive, you know, position battles to see who's uh, who are going to be the primary guys at, at those positions, and as well as as uh, you know some from some depth. And there's a lot of positions where you know we know who the starter is, and we know you know maybe who the backup is. But we're trying to figure out who the guys are that can help us beyond that. So um, uh, there's a lot of question marks at, at all positions right now, and. And uh, that's the whole thing with preseason practice is trying to identify and figure out who those, who those, uh, who the personnel is that we can count on this year. Hey, coach, I know he's already been on campus a little while now. Had a chance to play in the spring game. You talk about those new faces, none bigger than a guy like Spencer Rattler coming over from Oklahoma. How has he looked? And obviously, you know, uh, you know, what do you like about his game to be able to translate, uh, you know, uh, to a, a very, 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 very talented uh, SEC East this fall? Yeah, well, he's a winner. Um, Guy hasn't lost a college football game since uh, September of 2020, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, he's been through the battles. He's a talented quarterback, and you know uh, that's, he's he's the least of my concerns. He's got to continue to learn what we do as an offense, and and you know uh, cramming, if you will, to to learn this offense in a short period of time. But you know his intangibles and and what he's about uh, speaks for itself. And uh, now it's just up to us as, as coaches and, and players to, to, to be be well around him and do a good job around him, like at all positions, but, you know, certainly with Spencer for sure. Shane Beamer joining us here on 3 and Out. And, Coach, you just mentioned finding that depth. You talk about uh, Spencer Rattler coming in at quarterback, but last year I mean, at one point you were down to uh, you know, Zeb Nolan, who was a guy that was not even going to play uh, for you last year. What kind of – uh, did you learn from that process where at some point you were literally having to make do with some guys that you probably weren't expecting versus now having a little bit more of a, a, a complimentary roster full of guys? What did you learn about having to make do at spots last year uh, here moving forward into year two? Yeah, it's just an old, you know, it's an old cliche, next man up. And, and uh, you know, for us, it's, it's, uh, 
it's it's just that you know we didn't sit around last year when injuries happened and it wasn't just at, at the quarterback position I mean we lost our starting receiver in the fall we lost our starting offensive tackle uh, early in the season we lost our starting middle linebacker in the third game of the year against Georgia and unfortunately injuries are a part of it we don't sit around and worry about what we don't have let's figure out a way to win with what we do have and and you know credit our players and staff for for doing that and being a resilient group and and just finding ways to uh, to uh, to continue to move forward and continue to get better and and uh, and that's what we did and you know so obviously nobody expected to have to start four different quarterbacks last year because of injury and playing a graduate assistant is unprecedented you know what we did uh, for sure but you know credit the people in this program for for overcoming it defensively where do you feel like you guys are and obviously to win games in the SEC you got to be able to be uh, good on that side of the ball. Not a, I, I know a lot of big-time playmakers on offense, but some experience back on defense as well. Talk about that group. Yeah, it's a really good group. It's um, you know experience and some guys that have played a lot of snaps and certainly some people that we got to replace, some key figures, but uh, a group that you know played well last season and, and like everybody here in this program, trying to uh, work, working really, really hard to, to take the next step. And coach, I know when it comes to like uh, student athletes now, and how, how you know the changing world or the different things that they like. Right before SEC media days, man, you became a TikTok superstar. I mean, walking in, putting the shades <laughs> on. It seems as though you're having fun, coach. Talk about being able to adjust to show these players. Look, if I expect you guys to go out there and do the things I expect you to do, it, you know, if I got to put on a couple of glasses, do a TikTok video to bring the camaraderie together. Talk about you know having that experience, and it seemed, it definitely went viral. Yeah, uh, that's what it's all about. You know, certainly uh, um, uh, recruiting is key, and and you're trying to communicate and and uh, be be uh, uh, attractive to recruits. There's no question about it. But we certainly we do have a lot of fun in this building, and it's a lot of hard work. Don't get me wrong, but I've said it before, and we'll continue to. I mean, there's got to be some joy about what we do too. And I absolutely love what I do. I mean, like any job, it certainly has its challenges and. Some days are tougher than others, but I realize how blessed I am to be in this position that I am, and and uh, um, you know, and am going to enjoy it. And and it's real. I mean, I love these young men that I get to coach. I love the staff that I get to be around here each and every day uh, in this building as well. And and uh, um, you know, we try and uh, make sure people realize, you know, that's what we're about here in this program, and that was one way to do it for sure. Shane Beamer joining us here on 3 and Out. And, Coach, you play in the SEC East. That's where the defending national champion uh, resides there. Speak to coaching your team and guiding your team through an eight-game SEC East schedule. And as a staff, how do you kind of see where you guys fit in in that East battle and what are kind of your internal goals for continuing to to climb up that ladder, knowing the teams that are right there uh, inside the SEC East? Yeah, you know, the SEC in general is the toughest conference in America, and that's not even, you know, that's not debatable. And you, you got the defending national champion uh, in our division, and, and, you know, certainly teams at Kentucky had a fantastic year last year, and new staff at Florida, and Tennessee, new staff, Missouri, Vanderbilt. I mean, there's some great teams in this, in this division and this conference in general, and you know, like all of them, we're probably the same way. We're trying to worry about, you know, what we can control and us being the very best team we can be. And you know when you come to SC, when you come to South Carolina to play and coach that you're going to play against the best. And, you know, that's just part of it. I was a graduate assistant at Tennessee in the early 2000s, and 
I was, you know, in Tennessee and Florida were going back and forth every single year and and uh was one of was a great rivalry that typically determined who was going to be playing in Atlanta. So, it's nothing new for me and it's part of being in the SEC and as a competitor, you you love it, the opportunity to compete against the best uh, uh week in week out. What's the biggest key to being consistent in a league like this? Where like Kevin said, I, you know, you 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 have Arkansas on the road in uh, week 2, then then you have Georgia. You talk about, you know, Texas A&M. I mean, just every week, Florida later. What's the what's the biggest key to being consistent throughout a schedule like that? Uh, one, certainly got to stay healthy. You know, there's no question about it. But I think it's just, you know, not getting too high and not getting too low. Uh, not getting too high after a win, not getting too low after a loss. Because, you know, in this conference, you have a great win and, and uh, there's no uh, breathing easy because you got a lightweight or an easier opponent coming in the next week. You got, I mean, you 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 got another fantastic team that you get ready to play. So for us, it's very much just you know process oriented, and let's uh, work really really hard during the week. Let's do the very best that we can be to be the very best team that we can be on Saturday, and then uh, after that game, win or lose, learn from it. Things we did well, things we didn't do well, and uh, get ready to go again the following week. And that's the biggest thing for me is just, one, staying healthy, obviously, but just the consistency and, and the steadiness as you, uh, as you go through it. Coach, obviously, uh, you know, winning is the bottom line. Uh, when you talk about, you know, what you do uh, every day, uh, you know, helping these young men become better men on and off the field is what you, you know, uh, what you pride yourself in doing. But the culture of a team, every team's culture is different. Now, one team's culture is the same. Talk about the culture of uh, South Carolina and always building on that. Yeah, um, you know, culture to me is, you know, the environment here in this building. I mean, when somebody walks into our building each and every day, what does it feel like? And, and you know, and, and, and what's that vibe? And, and certainly when you come in here, it's it's a, it's hopefully a lot of joy and uh, we got some great people in this program that you know truly care about one another and all working for the same you know for the same goal and in the same direction and and uh you know i think that's evident with the way that we do things shane beamer head football coach south carolina joining us here and coach finally you're at a place in south carolina what did you expect when you took the job i mean it's a passionate fan base win or lose they're supporting the uh supporting the gamecocks but obviously the way you finished what has it been like for you? What did you expect coming in versus kind of what you've seen from uh, the South Carolina family community, the fans uh, around this football team, and, and how, how much it, it can be uh, now that you guys are, are turning a corner here? Yeah, uh, everything's been what I expected. Um, you know, I was here before when we were winning at a high level, and I know how passionate and, and loyal our fan base is. And, and if anything, they've only gotten stronger in the 10 years that I was gone, and they've been fantastic. It's a fantastic place to, to coach. It's a fantastic, fantastic place to live and, and go to school. And, and uh, you know, the big reason for that is uh, our fan base. So they've been exactly what I thought and so fortunate to be their head coach and, and uh, you know, excited for the future. Shane Beamer, head football coach, South Carolina, our guest here on 3 Now Coach. Best of luck to you guys moving forward. Thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Yep, you bet. Thanks for having me on, guys. Y'all have a good week. Take care. Will, will do. Shane Beamer joining us here on 3 and Out. And as he said, really picked up a lot of steam at the end of last year. Uh, BJ, he was, I believe, there in the, in the Steve Spurrier yes. uh, years uh, at South Carolina. Won at a high level. Sees what it can be and is trying to do that again at South Carolina. Again, you're coming along at a time that Tennessee's trying to do the same thing. I think now at, at Florida, 
they're trying to kind of do the same thing. Dan Mullen had him up there, but not to that level. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic here in the SEC East where you have some programs that when they win at a high level, man, it is a unique place to be. And South Carolina seems like one if Shane Beamer uh, took him to six wins that nobody saw coming, won a bowl game. Where's the, where, where's the limit here for them in, in 2022? Well, they're a team to watch. I think they're a very exciting team in the SEC. And you're exactly right. A lot of people forget that he was a big part of that success when you think about you know, kind of the dominant run of, of South Carolina under Steve Spurrier. Shane Beamer was, was helping to recruit a lot of that talent, was on that staff. Uh, he knows the program well. He knows the expectations. He knows the culture. And, yeah, I mean, Kevin, what you mentioned, people forget about that too. You go back to the start of last season with South Carolina's quarterback situation, and you're <laughs> looking around going, wait a second. You're taking a guy who is Zeb Nolan. Yeah, and, and, and you had to. You know, you had to go to a grad assistant to play quarterback, and you were able to manage that. You were able to find success in year one in the SEC. You won the Duke's Mayo Bowl and, you know, had fun with all that, with DK Joyner making plays and just all. Just, it, was a, it was a fun season to watch, to watch South Carolina find ways to win, find ways to adjust, find ways to succeed. And I think the foundation that was laid is one where everybody in the SEC East and in the league at large knows that South, Carol- South Carolina's on the rise, knows what the Gamecocks are doing. And they had injuries all over the place last year, not just quarterback. A lot of guys are healthy now. They've recruited really well. Ben, you asked about Spencer Rattler. I mean, this is a team that has a, has a chance. I'm not, I'm, I, look, Georgia's a clear favorite. Right. That goes without saying. But when you start talking about who's number two, I don't see any reason why South Carolina is not in that discussion. Shane Beamer is a strong reason why people be talking about what is the missing piece for most schools. It's never, ever going to be the quarterback, even though you want one. It's never, ever going to be a big-time defensive player, even though you want one. It starts with the head coach. You don't believe me? Look at what Kirby Smart is doing at Georgia. Look at what Josh Hyper did you know, last year in Tennessee. Look at what Shane Beamer did. Look at what, hopefully, Billy Napier will do. It's easy to go out there, and it's a, and it's a trend type thing. It's easy for Florida to move on from Dan Mullen when they see what a young hot shot coach can do that wants to be there. I'm, no one saw no one saw Shane Beamer doing what he did last year, and that's without Spencer Rattler. That's what having you know having a guy in Sam Nolan who look. I went from calling plays to the players to hey man, you got a locker the next day. And <laughs> Shane Beamer said it. He said, "Look man, when I was at Oklahoma and different places, man, I'm looking at SEC Network, man. I so whatever whatever like whatever he felt when he was a coach on under Steve Spurrier, he like dude, I want some of that, and he said it." I want to be the head coach of South Carolina one day. And I know most, I know every position coach has a dream landing spot. Most of them want to be head coach, but everybody's got a dream spot. But we'll see. But getting a guy like Spencer Rattler, their offense, if they can get it clicking, like he said, I mean, the fact the kid ain't lost a game because, you know, Oklahoma don't lose many. Right. You know, uh, but uh, they got they got good as a shot as any. That second that second spot in the SEC East is wide open. I know Kentucky. I know I know. hopefully Florida, Tennessee, but South Carolina, they right there in the, they right there in the mix. Appreciate Shane Beamer joining us here on 3 and Out. We got a full show for you. We'll get to it. Looking at that SEC uh, East, as we talked about with him, it is stacked in there behind Georgia. We'll get to that next. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Glad you're with us on this Wednesday. Man, we have got so much to get to here on the show. Uh, We'll talk some golf with Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. It has been a wild week in golf. You've got... The live suing the PGA Tour. Guys mad at each other. I mean, it's uh, absolutely amazing. More defections going to the live tour. Uh, we'll get to all that with Rich. We're going to hear from Georgia Southern head football coach Clay Helton. Things are ramping up there on the banks of beautiful Eagle Creek as they get ready for the countdown to uh, the 2022 season. We'll also hear from Gaurav Vidak, 
Braves on the back end of a ball game with the Red Sox. They have called up another top prospect, Vaughn Grissom. He will be in the starting lineup tonight. Gaurav will talk about that. This is a kid that's had less than 100 plate appearances at double-A ball in his career, and he's batting 363. So uh, we'll talk to, uh, Vaughn, uh, to Gaurav Vidoc uh, about Vaughn Grissom and D. Orlando Ledbetter, AJC.com, will join us coming up in the final hour of the program. We're talking Falcons football and Russell Wilson 2.0. Sorry, I had to throw that in there for Ben. BJ doesn't get the uh, – BJ don't know about – I told BJ I, about that. He was oh, like, oh, why are we doing this? Oh, okay. So so the young – and then, like I said, D. Orlando. We, we got to get the D. Orlando keeping it 100 reports. Because <laughs> you know, you know, he, he's our in-between, right? Yeah. You know, the fans are up here. You know, it's not that we're down here. I just want to know, hey, man, where am I taking off we from? Want am the, I taking we want off the, the correct runway, take, yeah. Or is this playing about the correct? So we'll get to that coming up in the final hour of the program, but – uh, great talking with Shane Beamer. SEC is going to be, uh, I think, crazy good uh, after Georgia. I don't. I think there's still a big gap between Georgia and everybody else, but the rest, outside of Vanderbilt, the the five that remain, I think, are going to be nicely uh, compacted. We got a comment uh, from Facebook. Adam Fisher, the SEC East will be the best division in college football next year. Write that down. And yes, that's the same division that has Vandy in it. Appreciate the comment, Adam, but the. SEC West doesn't have Vandy in it, and it's a lot better. I mean, I mean let's just be honest. Thoughts, reactions there to uh, to Adam's comment there on Facebook. I think, uh, I think, Shane, Shane, Adam, I do agree. You know, I'm biased. You know, I, Adam. Come you know, on, I, I, hold I, on. Do you have the Gator shoes what? on today? Is that what? No, you're... I will say this. I can say this. I don't know if the SEC East is going to be the best division. I say the quarterback play might be. We were just talking about that in the break. I mean. Stetson Bennett, who was the most disrespected player in college football, is back. Then you talk about when Henry Hooker was finally, you know, inserted to the line of what he meant for that Tennessee offense. You talk about Anthony Richardson. You talk about Will Levis. You talk about Spencer Rattler. I mean, Shane Beamer, one year in the SEC, he goes, look, dude, I need a quarterback. I need a quarterback that plays quarterback, not one that call plays, not one that's, you know, trying to help the quarterbacks get better. This will come down to the quarterback play, though, led, led by Stetson Bennett, Right. Hendon Hooker, a full year, a full offseason, I'm going to be the starter. How is that going to look for Tennessee? Will Levis doesn't lack confidence. I don't, I don't agree with his coffee choices and the kind of stuff he put in that, but hell of a football player. Anthony Richardson can be as good as he want to be, but he got to be able to do the mundane. Every time I think about Anthony, I think one thing. Can you do the normal before you do the abnormal? We know you are abnormally talented. Can you do the normal stuff like, you know, throw the ball away on third down, don't try to take on, uh, don't try to take on defenders? But the biggest question mark in the SEC is Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler can be really, really good, but he's no longer with the team he used to be with. And it's not because he's not talented. It's because he got beat out. It's because, okay, well, I came here to be the man, and I was a, what some publications, he was the number one recruit in the country, depending on who you ask when he came out. Now he's in the SEC. There is nothing wrong with going to the SEC, by the way. But the thing is, we don't know. Like, everything that's negative about a player at a previous school is going to be, you know, they're going to make sure they protect you at your current school. That's what they're supposed to do. But his play will do the, will do the talking for him. Did not go to SEC media days. I think that's by design. As Shane Beamer said, let me protect this guy because if he goes to Atlanta, it's – Oklahoma this, Oklahoma that, Oklahoma this. No, 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 no. I just want him to play. Look really, really good in the in the uh in the uh, spring game. It's gonna come down to it's gonna come down to quarterback play. As much as the as great as these defenses are, they don't score points. And unless you got a 2021 Georgia defense, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to stop somebody. I just think for my money, the the, the guy that's in the best position is Stetson because he did it without a number one receiver. Take another away from Brock Bowers. That's hard 
to do. 30 touchdown passes is hard to do. Anybody can take 30 touchdowns. I don't care who you are. Hendon Hooker is going to be on the best offense because he's already been in it, and you know it's going to be high octane. They're going up and down the field, up and down the field. Will Levis got the best run game. Let's call it what it is. I got the best run game to complement the passing game. Anthony Richardson is talented. And, and, I, and, and think, listen, Shorter and company, I know, I know they're going to run the football, but we got to see it first. I know what, I know what Billy Napier wants to do on offense, but you got to see it first. And obviously Spencer Rattler is the question mark. I do think the SEC East is going to be loaded. I, I don't – I do expect no. The, to the quarterback play is going to be really good. I just yeah. don't, I don't think it's better than the West. Still, I, I mean, well, I, this is the thing. Well, Kevin, still well, Kevin, got a ways to go. In my Kevin, opinion. this is the thing, right? Yeah, you got the Heisman Trophy winning over there, right? Boom, right? You got the Heisman Trophy winning. Yeah, but this. to your point though about the quarterbacks, and I agree with you at large with the division. I mean, Vandy hasn't then, won an SEC game yeah, in two years. But, I mean, I mean, but, but Ben, to your point about the quarterbacks, I mean, go through them. Stetson Bennett finished in the top five in the country in passer rating, and oh by the way, won a national championship. And let's not forget, he was the MVP of the semifinal game and the MVP of the national championship game. I mean, that was about as good of a season as you can have. Okay, Hendon Hooker finished in the top five in the country in passer rating. Right there was Stetson Bennett. And you guys know that's a stat I love, the passer, passer rating stat. He also helped get Tennessee back into the postseason. Didn't start the whole year. No. Might have had bigger numbers had he started the whole year. Okay, you talk about Spencer Rattler. I, I, you're... I, you're looking at a guy that some people said was the Heisman Trophy, you know, favorite at one point, number one overall pick, favorite at one point. I have seen mock drafts, and I know this changes, that have not only Will Levis, but Anthony Richardson both listed as first-round picks. And I've seen some mock drafts that have them in the top 15, both guys. And I, Spencer Rattler could be a first-round pick. I mean, I, I think expectations are high for Brady Cook. Uh, at, at, at Missouri, you know, Vanderbilt, maybe it's Ken Seals. We'll see, you know. But I think that, uh, to your point, Ben, this, th- this group of quarterbacks is really, really good. And it starts with Stetson Bennett and Hendon Hooker, top five in the country in passer rating, both of them. Spencer Rattler comes in. I mean, I'll ask you guys this because I don't know that – and he, he, he did look good in the spring game. But, I mean, when you look at Spencer Rattler and talk about expectations, do you think you're talking about – 20 to 24 touchdown passes? Do you think you're talking about more 25 to 30 touchdown passes? I mean, how do you get a sense for what maybe realistic expectations are? Bigger than the touchdown pass, I think, how, how does he manage games? Because the thing about it is, I mean, uh, most guys, I mean, this doesn't happen. All. Most quarterbacks, and once they get inserted as a starter, they don't get pulled. That's a rarity. That does not happen in college football. It happens, but big-time quarterbacks, they don't usually get pulled unless, you know, it's an injury and they can't play. The thing about Spencer Rattler is how does he handle adversity? It's going to happen next year. They're not going to win every game they're in next year. They hope to win more than they lose. I get it. I look at Spencer Rattler as, are they winning because of you or in spite of you? That is quarterback play to me. Can you win them a game? Can you bring I mean, them they back won, in the they, I mean, no, no offense, but they won a lot of games running the ball and playing defense. And, so, and I mean, my, they won yeah. games without stellar yeah. quarterback well, play a season ago. The thing that Shane Beamer said that stood out to me, he says he has to learn our system. I mean, they ain't gonna, this ain't Oklahoma, man. Like, we want you. We do not play offense like that. And, the, you know, when you talk about the Big 12 and the way they play offense compared to the SEC, the Big 12 puts so much focus and attention and pressure on the quarterbacks. A lot of them do that, and the ones that play the best usually win games. In the SEC, you won't make it a full season standing back there like a statue. You're going to get hit, and you're going to get hit a lot. So for my money, I think the, the thing about a guy like Spencer Rattler is show why, show why can you blend in in the SEC without people knowing that you came from Oklahoma? Because a lot of times 
you know, you're not you're the you're the you're not the odd man out. I'm not saying he's super duper talented. He's super duper talented. But Shane Beamer is saying, hey man, look, take what you do throwing the football, take what we do running the football, be a game manager, go out there and win. Can you can you get us there? Because no matter what, people are waiting on the ad. Whatever you known for in the negative, people can't wait to see it. And can and can you limit that? Every single person has weaknesses. Every player. The best players find a way to, hey, man, I don't show my weaknesses as much. Of course I got weak spots. The thing about Spencer Rattler is what type of football player is he on Saturday? What type of teammate is he Monday through Friday? Because you hear all kind of stuff. You know, Oklahoma, they did right by him, man. They they have all that smoke coming out of Oklahoma. They want to protect the kid. And they know the future Oklahoma Sooners are watching how you see how you did when they left. So I don't want to do that. But he's no longer in Oklahoma now. And that's and that's and if I'm not mistaken, the guy who beat you out in Oklahoma. So both the starter and the backup are both gone. Greener pasture. So I just think that for me, watching Spencer Rattler go out there, because this thing, BJ, I mean, uh Jamie Newman. People say, who's Jamie Newman? Exactly. Remember when Jamie Newman came over to Georgia and never played? You never heard from Jamie Newman? That's not going to happen again. If Spencer Riley can go out there and light it up, BJ, you know he's going to jump up them draft boards. Because they're going to say, dude, I thought he could. So, for me, it's going to be about the quarterback play. Stetson Bennett is the most comfortable because Stetson Bennett is the only guy that don't got five stars next to his name. He's, he's, he's in a room full of them, and they ain't better than him. Georgia fans, y'all don't got to like that. He's not 6'4". He's not 6'5". He's the best quarterback on your roster because he had five stars in front of him. And behind him, he's going through, what, three uh, recruiting cycles, and he's beat them all out. So we'll see what happens, but uh, you got to deal with them boys from Georgia no matter what. Uh, they're still the kings of the East, and <laughs> I think they're going to be there for a good little bit there with Kirby Smart. we got more to come here on 3 and Out. We'll chat with Rich Stiles, host of the Back Now Boys Golf Show. Golfers suing, well, kind of suing each other. The Liv suing the PJ Tour. Where does all that stand? He'll join us next. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Love to hear from you. On Twitter, at Pigskin Radio, also streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com, and you can see us live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Back it is, three and out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here. A lot going on in the golf world. Our next guest joins us each week to keep us up to speed, uh, the host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, Rich Stiles, joins us here on Three and Out. Rich, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking me. Uh, hey, well, Rich, I know we, we keep talking to you, and I know you, probably everybody in the golf world is sick of talking about the the back and forth and who's doing what. And then, as you said, hey, after the FedEx Cup Championship, there's probably going to be some more defections, and we heard about some of those uh, possibly this week. But uh, there's also a big lawsuit going on uh, from the Live Tour to the PGA Tour that's got, obviously, a lot of the players upset. Uh, but this week, you got a big, big ruling, kind of, or at least seemingly the evidence working in the favor of the PGA that uh, they can actually restrict the the live tour guys from bouncing back and forth. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a a, a win for the PGA Tour for sure, um, one that I think they were hoping for, and the guys obviously on the PGA Tour who felt like the live guys were suing them uh, as members of the PGA Tour, which they actually were. Um, you know, didn't want him to come back, uh, was not going to be as friendly as they wanted, but it definitely was a ruling that was in favor of the PGA Tour and the live uh, attorney apparently did not present enough evidence that it was going to be horrible and, uh, you know, for the guys on the live tour. Apparently, part of that reasoning was because of the money that they've already received, so it was not a point that they were being deprived or not able to make any money They've already got their money, and so 
the ruling went against him. And Rich, I think one of the important things I read, and correct me if I'm I'm wrong, but uh, this actually prohibited, in, in, at least in the short term, I'm, sure, I'm assuming moving forward from the live guys from bouncing back over to try to put some of the guys that, hey, well, I can still play in the, the FedEx championship or I'm thinking about, like, they're actually prohibited from coming back over and playing in that thing, right? Unless I misread, right? Correct. No, you are correct. And I think that's a big win for the PGA Tour. So, you know, it's, it's, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't get a big contract and big money with another tournament, another, uh, you know, key organization, and then expect to be able to come back, even if you've not resigned from the PGA Tour, uh, but that you played on it. Uh, you know, what the small print that none of us know about is what's in that contract with the PGA Tour. So if they sign with another tour, uh, obviously they've broken some kind of contract with the PGA Tour in some wording that they have. Uh, believe me, I think these contracts are, are, are pretty looked over by the attorneys and the lawyers right. with the PGA Tour and the commissioner and everybody else. And they protected themselves in the beginning, uh, but this ruling does really help and may quiet some of the quash as far as what's going on with you know, who's going where. Uh, yes, we know we've been Mark Leachman, uh, Cameron Smith, who said he's here to win and play in the FedEx Cup. Uh, after the FedEx Cup, he's expected to go to the Live Tour. But he's also the number one player on the Ryder Cup for the European team. So he may delay going until after the Ryder Cup. But, you know, with these, you know, rumors that are out there or contract signings saying he got $100 million, um, you know, at this point, they're giving up those rights to play on the Ryder Cup. They're giving up those rights playing in a FedEx Cup. So at this point, you know, it's bottom line, it's all about the money. Uh, well, of course, I was going to say, uh, Rich, I, I've, I've seen the back and forth on, you know, social media from, from fans who enjoy the PGA Tour, from fans who are saying, look, the Live Tour is another tour, despite what you, you think about all the, and we won't get into the politics of it, but it seems like you're saying, okay, so you, this may be a precursor to telling them they can't play in majors as well. Do you think there's any buyer's remorse uh, from any of the Live Tour guys? Or at the end of the day, hey, you give me $100 bucks guaranteed, I'll suck it up and deal with whatever the PGA says. At that point, uh, who cares what anybody says? Um, even it is the PGA Tour. Uh, you've made your decision based on a contract and based on money and uh, an opportunity to win even more money with the money that the uh, Live Tour is putting into each one of the tournaments. So, you know, from a money standpoint, I mean, they could care less whether they play in any majors. They're just trying to, to double dip, as I've heard some people call it. And, uh, you know, some of the PGA Tours, uh, Kevin Streelman said, they're not welcome here. I mean, they left to do something else, and now they want to come back. I would not talk to them. We were friends, but right now, if they came back and played today, I would not talk to them, and they would not be welcome here. And Rich, to me, that's the side of this that's very interesting uh, because golf is purported as the gentleman's game and, you know, things of that nature. And as you said, this has caused a riff where you would say, okay, they're, they're playing over there. I get, I don't agree. But this, to me, has caused such a riff where, as you said, there's a, like, I'm not talking to him. Uh, you know, Davis Love had his comments. Hey, we should just boycott the majors if they let these guys come back over here and play. That's not, you know, it. why do you think this has caused such a deep rift amongst the players? Because obviously it's just opening up spots for somebody else to come into these PGA Tour events, maybe a better chance for guys to win tournaments. Uh, the PGA, it's forced the PGA Tour to up the purse money. As much as you want to hate on the Live Tour, it has been <laughs> at least forced the hand on the PGA 
on uh, on some level. Why do you think this thing has turned so personal amongst the the golfers themselves? Okay, it's let me put it to you this way, and I've been trying to think about how I could analyze it, and the best way I can analyze it is the PGA Tour is like a family. You know, you all belong. You all go to these tournaments. You bring your family on some of them. You guys eat together. You talk together. You train together. You know, you do all these things. And now all of a sudden, you get a divorce, and you go to the live tour. You go to where you think the grass is going to be greener, and it, it is, talking about money. But it's like a divorce. When you get a divorce, you really can't go back to your in-laws uh, or your ex-laws and try <laughs> and have the same kind of relationship. So it's like, okay, you gave up our family for another one. You stay with that family that you left us for. Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, Rich, obviously you're coming into uh, the, the stretch of August right before football starts. Uh, the, the, the golf tour has kind of scheduled it. So, hey, we're going to hit this thing, uh, get the, the FedEx Cup championship rolling. Who's the favorite here to, uh, to push this thing home and, uh, and try to bring home that, uh, that extra $10 million? Well, it's actually going to be eight. 18 million, million excuse payout for the FedEx Cup for the finals. And uh, that, that's just incredible amount of money, um, you know, to play 72 holes and win $18 million. Um, I mean, that's, that's what happens when you increase the purses. And I think you've got to look at Scotty Shuffer. You've got to look at, uh, even though he may be going to live, Cam Young. Uh, you know, you've got to look at kind of those top ten guys in the FedEx standings who have the chance. It's really the top five who really have a chance. Uh, but, you know, in the FedEx Cup now, when they get down to the Tour Championship, Scheffler will start at minus 10. Number 30 will start at zero. And so, you know, there's a big, there's a 10-shot difference. But if Scotty Scheffler doesn't have a great day and somebody at the bottom does have a great day, all of a sudden that gap is quickly picked up and there's not as much separation as there, as there is. But right now you got the top 125. It'll drop down to 70. And then it'll drop down to the top 30 at the Tour Championship at Eastlake. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, joining us. And, uh, and Rich, moving to just kind of a, a philosophical question, because I'm interested to hear uh, your answer, uh, given how things have evolved over the last year uh, on the PGA Tour. Obviously, when the Live guys defected, people would say, okay, these guys are past their primes. They're not winning a whole lot. They're, they're, some of them are names, but they're not playing their best golf. Okay. Right. Phil Mickelson be that. Tiger Woods obviously is on the sentimentality tour. I mean, you can't paint it any other way other than he's got less golf than he does more golf, and he's basically only playing majors at this point. With all the names that have left, there's still names. Who's the face of the PGA Tour, and who has a chance, in your opinion, to maybe step in and claim one of those spots as the week-to-week, this is the guy I need to tune in and watch? Well, I think you've got three or four people. I don't think it's just one. But, I mean, if you look at what's happened this year with, you know, Tiger only playing a couple of times, uh, his body is just not going to be able to be able to play like he used to for competitive rounds of golf. Um, I think you've got to look at a, at a Justin Thomas. You've got to look at a Cam Smith who's been playing good. Cam Young, who, uh, you know, put uh, his, himself into second place at the Open with an eagle on the last hole. Uh, forcing Cam Smith to make a birdie to win the Open. you got to look at Scotty Scheffler. I mean, Scotty's been playing unbelievable. Four wins this year. So, um, you know, I think those are three, uh, you know, guys that you could look at. Uh, there's probably four or five others that I think could get hot, and I think this is the time to get hot. You work for this all year long, and you're in the top 30, and you've, you've got a shot, and you're going to make 
quite a bit of money, but now it's about competition. It's about winning the FedEx Cup, and it's getting into that situation. And that's what you work for all year long. And I just think, you know, you've got probably five to ten guys in that top 30 who could come up and win the FedEx Cup at, at uh, Eastlake coming up at the end of August. And then by proxy, do they become kind of the new face of the of the tour? Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, I think right now you've already got new faces. You know, you got Colin Markauer, you got Scotty Scheffler, you got Justin Thomas, uh, you know, Cam Young, but he may not be here long. Uh, I've also heard a rumor that uh, our Cam Smith may not be here long. Cam Young may also be going to the Live Tour. We don't know. There's just a lot of rumors going out. We'll not know anything until after the FedEx Cup. We'll see some leave again, and then I think you'll see more after the President's Cup in September. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Rich, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks. Appreciate it. Rich Stiles joining us here on 3 and Out. As, man, as the golf world turns, we say it every week, it's just drama after drama after drama about who's staying, who's going, and who kind of takes over as that face uh, of golf. Nobody's certainly going to do it the way Tiger did, but do you even have two guys who can play off of one another the way Tiger and Phil did to create that week-to-week drama? We got more to come. Here it is, 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. Good to talk to, uh, to Rich. I uh, always enjoy talking golf. Have uh, Mike D. giving us a comment saying, blah, blah. PGA Tour is just a butthurt. Y'all found $160 million for players after everyone started leaving. They did. Uh, the Saudis have money and all kinds of sponsors for the PGA already. They're mad because the best left for moolah. That's uh, Mike uh, hitting us up on YouTube, watching us at ESPN Coastal. Appreciate you watching there, uh, Mike. Again, I think uh, a lot of what, and we've talked about this with Rich, a lot of the fall of the PGA Tours, they've been reactionary and just not uh, getting out in front of this stuff. I mean, hey, why are guys leaving for $100 million? I mean, it's $100 million. Uh, why is your, they're making more some in one weekend yep. than the guys who win the FedEx Cup. It's $18 yep. Million. yep. Well, some of these guys are getting guaranteed 10 just for showing up. And their caddies are taken care of. And their caddies of. are taken care of and transportation. So, they're, they're, they're forcing the hand of the PGA Tour, and I, I agree with the politics. I also understand, hey, there's people that got investments and companies all over the place, and if you start digging deep enough, I'm sure the Saudis have money going into the PGA Tour on some level uh, if, you, if, you, if you look at it. So it's a tough issue. I just think players, are, it's no different than baseball. Sign me up. I'm Juan Soto, 450. All guaranteed. All guaranteed. I mean, the pressure is off for these guys in the lifter. They got to show up and play, but they know they're getting paid regardless. So, with all the lawsuits, what it, what 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 ultimately happens? Uh, basically, I, I think with the lawsuit they're having now is they're not going to let guys bounce back and forth, and the live doesn't let their guys do that. And on some level, do that if there's a live event, they must play in that. And so, I think that was one of the things that came so out that this week. Does that create basically even more of a direct competition between the two leagues moving uh, forward? Or so no? far, they don't cross over on majors. I think a lot of the players that left thought they would still be able to go play majors, and so far, they have been able to, and they might still be able to. I think this ruling, though, uh, might lean more towards: Hey, if you want to play in the live, go play the live tour. There's no bouncing back and forth. I can't play in the G League and the NBA at the yes. same time because I'm getting paid by both. Can't do that. Pick one. And you're just going to have to to deal with it. But again, if you guarantee me a hundred million dollars, I I can get over any any butt hurt that I have. Real real quick to use Mike's words there off of uh, the YouTube post. We appreciate Mike. Listen, we got take three around the corner. Clay Helton next hour and more here on Three and Out. We are back, and I'm agitated here before uh, we get to uh, to take three. I'm not, I'm not even going to lie about it. 
We got a lot to get to this hour. Clay Helton going to join us. Is this about the ice cream or the s'mores? We'll get to that coming up. I'm still not wrong. Not wrong about people don't really like salad either. That's just all in the head. No, no, where did that but come anyway. from? You and Christian were arguing about <laughs> double chocolate, and now it's a salad thing, and I do yeah. like salads. You don't. You say, you think you do, but you don't. Ben knows I'm right. I mean, yeah, I mean, no, the you go thing? and get a box of a of, of of like a nice spring mix or a baby spinach. Do you put anything you, on it? You open it up. I might put like some turkey in there and like a nice Greek oh, vinaigrette. He, he said, Hold on a second. So we're covering up the taste oh, no, no, of what we're eating. Do you put anything on a burger or do you just get bread, burger, bread? I will eat it that way. No, that's what and, I got to and, do. And, and I will eat the spring mix that way. No, but, but you're a psychopath. No, but I prefer. <laughs> what? I, I prefer to if put you, if I, if you, a if you turkey, take the spring mix out the bag. Maybe just some, stra- the maybe some strawberries. The world is directly about to come to a close. It's called vegetables. <laughs> I mean, Kevin. Oh, yeah. We Kevin said, how did Kevin say? Kevin said, I will eat, you know, the animal that ate, you know, That's right. the greenery. My food is vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot to get to. Clay Helton this hour and more. We're talking Braves baseball. Gurov, Vidoc in the final hour. D. Orlando Ledbetter will give us the latest from Falcons camp coming up final hour as well. But first, fellas, let's take three here on three and out. All right, take one. The revelation today, Georgia, Florida. In Jacksonville, of course, everybody likes to say, well, why don't we just take the game out of it? Georgia, Florida can now have recruits at the game, which, BJ, starting this year, and that was the big gripe of all the Georgia fans, which I've noticed since Georgia started winning, the gripe of the game in Jacksonville has died down a little bit. Like, let's just be clear, Florida, Georgia, you're all front runners. When you lose, the game shouldn't be there, and when you win, it's fine. It's okay. The point is you go, you party for three days, and you have a football game surrounding it. Let's just be real about what it is. But you can have recruits there now, and that was the big gripe of Kirby Smart. I lose a home game, I can't have recruits. Yeah, it seems to be hurting you with the number one, two, and three uh, classes the last couple years of recruiting. Go cry me a river somewhere else uh, about how it hurts recruiting. My bigger thing is, why, why why, why, why weren't they allowed in the first place? Like, who cares at this point? It's 2022. In a rare aligning of the stars, I agree with you. <laughs> what, 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 wh- why? Why was this ever an issue? Like, let the recruits come. Uh, and, and, and the game should be in Jacksonville. I mean, Ben, obviously I defer to you on that. I mean, you played in it. You're in the Florida-Georgia Hall of Fame, one of the great players to have ever played in the series. But the game should be in Jacksonville. It's one of the special venues. I know that's not the question, but it's one of the special you know venues and traditions in college football. But, yes. Let them bring recruits. I mean, it's 2022. If it's an open recruiting period, I don't see why you can't have recruits come to any game that you're playing in. This seems logical. It makes sense. Seems fair. I don't see the problem. Let recruits come. Let them experience the tradition. Let them experience the scene, the atmosphere, the game. Come on. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, Kirby Smart, once again, uh, he's going to feel like Kirby Smart was able to, you know, uh, you know, see what happens when you win national championships. You get a little bit more pool. You realize that everything you say matters. I'm just, but I agree with something you said, Kevin. You see, you see why, you see why NCAA do things that don't, it just don't make no sense. Like, why weren't you letting them come? So you mean to tell me you tell the recruit, no, 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 y'all can't come to Jacksonville. No, no. It's but if you tr- come to Georgia or Florida, you will get to play here. Like, yeah, it's, it's, like, all, it's one of the, it's, 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 look. It's already a gazillion people on the sidelines. So you got to add a couple, a little bit more space. You got to add some room for 10,000 Exactly. I mean, so so I, I, I think that I think that it's a great thing because this is what it really is, though. They know that you can't do one for one neutral game without the, it's the other neutral site. So now they're going to so? get a chance to do it. I think yeah, this is the best recruiting. Let them do it. Yeah, it's the best recruiting weekend, you know, for Florida or Georgia. 
Because you get to see what the atmosphere is really like. You get to see, like, you know, what outside of the stadium, inside of the stadium, the pageantry, all these different things. But come on, NCAA. It's like, and these things are Although, with all breaking. Due respect, with all due respect, I don't know how many schools are like, hey, recruits, why don't you come join us at the, uh, the Birmingham Bowl? That Gasparilla Bowl, we want you there. <laughs> Why? Because there'll be more of you there than the fans of the stands. Well, well, this is, well, hold on, but I always remember this. I always but, remember this, though, Kevin. It comes down to simple this. Listen, if I'm a recruit, yeah, I want to get catered. I want to have something on my recruiting visit and no other player I got. Hey, man, which one? What recruiting weekend did you go? Oh, I went Florida, Georgia. I went Georgia, Florida. Well, what y'all do? Well, I mean, they kind of showed us Jacksonville a little bit. Right, and then we got because it's all it's all about it's all about you know at the end of the day I want to have access that nobody else has, but it's not even about that. I mean, it's just if if to me that's part of the recruiting process. If you come to Florida or if you come to Georgia, you're going to play a game here. The end, like that. That's part of the experience. Like, I know it's, it's a, a that's part a of the situation. But like, here. but like, hurt me if I'm wrong. Arkansas plays in multiple different home sites, they should, right? Right. Yeah, and they play, so, and so, Little Rock. Yeah. So, and they so play against A and M and Jim. Yeah, 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 yeah. Take them to take them to Dallas. Once like, again, this once, is where you play. Yes, and but the thing is too, right? You know, everybody got the recruiting trail visits and all these different things. Like, yes, I mean, I was at South Carolina when we you know we went to the banquet and they had the winner <laughs> certificates. I was there. I, I was. I got That's the, my you favorite know, story. And I, but I think what it is is too. No, no greater seller of your program to have your rival team at the neutral site to be like, hey, did you get the rate? You know, because look, you're going to go where you're going to go. All this, oh, man, it really came. Down. It's not going to come down to that weekend, but if I'm going to pick a weekend, I'm sorry. I know people in Athens ain't going to like this, but if I got a shot to pick between Athens and Jacksonville, I think that's an easy sell. I mean, no, but, I'm just but saying. That's not, I mean, but, but again, you can go Georgia, Tennessee. You can go Georgia, South Carolina. There's big games there. But I just feel like why this wasn't allowed before, that this is a game that you will, if you choose to go to either one of those schools, you're going to play a game there. That's part of the experience, I, that, you, but, that's but part of the experience that you can sell to recruits. And, and I that, don't know this. I would assume, I don't know technically who's the home team. I would assume, just based off proximity, it's Georgia. But, like, Georgia plays Oregon in Atlanta to open the year. Recruits should be able to go. Are, yeah. are, are they able to? You would... Uh, you would <laughs> You would, you would, I would think they would, but if Kirby Smart is complaining about this, I mean, weekend, I, I mean, surely they yeah. are. For- yeah, because what, because what, because what, what it really uh, is is when you got recruits, man, you got games, what may have you, you know, it, it makes it one of those things where you got to cater to everybody. They're gonna parents, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna my players, they're gonna future players, they're gonna my, they're gonna my current players' parents, they're gonna my future players' parents. But Kirby, you asked for it, you wanted it. And you got it. I don't want to hear nothing about, man, get them back. Get, them, get who back? The 16, 17-year-old that's on the field, you know what I'm saying, doing a TikTok <laughs> video over in the corner. It's a lot of stuff that can go wrong. Didn't they just have a player in baseball that was running the bases, slid in the third, and his phone yeah, that was the Pirates. came out as freaking thing. You know, i like, boy, you, listen, she said she's going to call me. In, I mean, you can't talk to her in the dugout? My goodness. All I'm saying is, listen, all I saw a things, great tweet about that, and it was like, hey, if you played for the Pirates, are you watching the game? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, look, I, 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 I would say if you're a baseball guy, they got some good prospects, but that's neither here nor there. But, yeah, I, I don't know why that was ever even an issue. Uh, you, if you go to Georgia or Florida, you play in Jacksonville, that's part of the recruiting pitch, right? If I'm, if I'm Oklahoma and I'm Texas, hey, man, we do this thing at the Cotton Bowl every year. It's the Red River shootout, Red River rivalry, whatever you want to call it. The state fair's in town. There's 100,000 people. Uh, you know, at the game, there's you know another twenty, thirty thousand people at the state fair outside the game. We would love for you to come and see what that's all about. Why? Because if you come here, you're gonna play in this thing. 
Why, why, like, like, why wouldn't that be a part of the recruiting pitch uh, that you would put out there? All right, moving along. Take two, uh, fellas. Vaughn Grissom, the Braves' top prospect. Boy, you keep saying that a lot. The Braves keep calling him up. The Braves' top prospect set to make his major league debut tonight. He's actually in the lineup, playing second, batting ninth. What are your expectations for a guy coming up that, while batting 363, has less than 100 plate appearances at the double-A level and has obviously never played higher than that in his professional career? Well, I think he's going to do well. And listen, this is a guy that is very highly regarded. I think you and I both, Kevin, at, at various times saw him during his uh, minor league career, I think maybe down in Jacksonville, uh, or, or, or saw him play um, – you know, some point during his minor league career, this is a talented baseball player, and the production is there. Uh, you're hitting close to 400. You're hitting close to 400, and all of the scouts believe in this guy. Everybody says he is a you know prospect that is poised for great success. Uh, and in terms of hey, he's never been you know past Double A or had only has so many at bats at Triple or or whatever it is. That's that people hear that. That's also common. That's also common. You know, it's not always as simple as I think sometimes there's a misnomer that in baseball, a prospect goes from rookie ball to single A to double A to triple A and then the majors. It doesn't always go that way. Right. Right. It doesn't always go that way. There are a wide variety of reasons. Sometimes a prospect has shown enough that they don't need to go to triple A. Sometimes. Triple A, and I know you've called it this before, Kevin, can be kind of like 4A, where it's guys that are, you know, back and forth between the roster. Maybe they're guys that are in their 30s. Maybe they're guys that are on injury rehab, whatever. Uh, sometimes some of your best prospects are at the double A level. And you're talking about guys that still have a lot of baseball in front of them. I'm excited that he's in the lineup tonight. I, I, look, I, I like that. If you're going to bring a guy up and you know he's going to play, Let's get him in the lineup. What you you know instead whoa, of no listen. Whoa, whoa. That's a that's a very listen. very recent change of yours. Right, but what I'm saying is, if you're going to bring a guy up, like I, my my only can, concern would be, do you kind of make whatever the pressure is worse if you say, all right, Vaughn or Michael or whoever, you're coming up, you're on the roster, you're on the big league club, but wait a couple days, you know, wait four or five days. To me. Let him play. Yeah. He's been playing. He's been playing well. Yep. He's hitting close to 400. Yep. He's got all the skills. Now, unfortunately, in the middle infield, you've had injuries. I mean, you've had injuries to Ozzie. Uh, you told me – I fell asleep. You told me uh, Orlando <laughs> or, – Orlando has a hamstring injury, uh, uh, yeah. Arcia got, got, uh, got hurt, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Ten-day um, ten injured list. Right, yeah. and, and I think Grissom is a guy that has a chance to stay. Look, you've been trying things. Yes. You brought in Robinson Cano. Yes. And with all due respect to Robinson that, Cano. You better get them jerseys while they last. You know, he's at the end of his career. He's yes. an older guy. He's yeah. had injuries. So, I think you should be excited. I think there should be optimism around this. Uh, I can't wait to see him play uh, offensively, defensively. And, look, with, with, with a team that is believing it can compete, Right, I know it didn't go well against New York, but countless teams have won the World Series winning the wild card. And I'm not saying you can't win the East. You made moves at the deadline. You've brought up prospects. You're going for it. You're being aggressive. And I think that's what you want out of a GM. That's what you want out of an organization. And I think everybody should be very excited about Von Grissom tonight. I'm very excited about him because he's on a team that matters, you know, uh, in a position that matters. You are, you are, you are bringing you up in a position of need. And the thing about it is this. There is no, there is no such team as, as the right time when you call calling somebody up. Call them up. Like, call them up. They got the – you go – look, 
the Braves farm system has been as good as it gets. And, and unfortunately for, for Vaughn, they expect him to work because of everybody else. Austin Riley, Michael Harris Jr. I mean, you just – but he's coming to a team to where we'll bring you up first for your glove and whatever you give us at the plate. Now, obviously what you've been doing has been great. Michael Harris, you know, you wasn't even focused on what he gave you at the plate because his glove is so elite. Vaughn Griswold comes to a team that said, look, man, listen, I don't know if Vaughn is the youngest guy in the, in the bigs now because I know Michael Harris Jr. was the youngest. But when you bring a guy up, you know, it's about bringing him to a culture that's welcoming. I mean, they're going, Ronald Acuna Jr. ain't like he's 30 years old. He's 23, 24 years old. He sees Michael Harris and he's got, he sees Austin Riley. You got guys young enough in your age to say, hey, man, it's cool. Like, go out there and just be you. You know how much better you are as a player when there is? There's pressure because you're in the bigs. Everybody got pressure on them. But it's a different kind of pressure when you say, no, no, no. Just be yourself, man. Figure out, listen, get comfortable at that plate. Show what you got at second base. Yes, that's Ronald Acuna. And it's right there. Look at Michael Harris, yeah. Now go, Austin Riley, yep. Austin Riley, big as hell. Look like a linebacker. <laughs> there he is, right? But you on the team with him. I think that the thing about Alex Anthopoulos, he says, look, I got to bring him in a situation where we 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 always going to matter. We in the thick of it. That means that what you do with your glove matters. Now, you won't – don't look like Marcelo Zuna at the plate. You don't want to look like that. <laughs> but I think that a guy like Von Grisham, when they say welcome to the bigs, man – I think it's I think it's a real welcome because you come into a Braves team. It's one of the best teams in the bigs. Some of the one of the best stars, some of the best stars in baseball on the same team. But you get to be yourself. Like they, if baseball is way, you know, baseball is a different type of team game because you got so many moving parts to it. But when you can bring a guy in and just tell him, hey, I, look, man, it's crazy. <laughs> yes, this, you know, we we are star studded, but we got the best culture in baseball. Like this is the best. Ask anybody that's played here. Ask, you know, ask Jock Peterson, ask Solaire and those guys. You know, ask those guys that's being here what it is to play here. But, but Kevin, you already know, BJ, you already know, if he get to the plate and he do, you know, he do Jason Hayward <laughs> and he goes yard, it, there's yeah, nothing I mean, he can yeah. do. We would love to see it. But, hey, Vaughn, man, welcome to the bigs, man. Hopefully he can go out there. Yep. You know, hopefully, hopefully you know, the big game jitters don't get I mean, torn. Michael Harris has done a pretty good job of uh, yeah. settling in, uh, so to speak. All right, moving on, take three. Today is National S'mores Day. Where does s'mores rank as a tasty treat? I mean, very high, no, very not, highly. Are they in Look, your top five? Nope. Well, I mean, how do you – when we talk about tasty treats, are you encompassing anything, <laughs> anything that, that has any element of sweetness? Anything that's eaten like post-meal. Okay, okay. Uh, you know, like if a, you're talking about a snack, any, I guess. any and all things that could be considered sweet or a snack, I would probably say no, not in the top five. <laughs> but they are very, very good. You're talking about chocolate, hot chocolate, melted chocolate. You're talking about marshmallows, melted marshmallows that get you know get all fun and all that. You're talking about graham crackers, which are good. Get all fun. Yeah, I just made you correctly. When you roast a marshmallow, that's not fun. It's all right. Tell me that's not fun. I like burning it. Okay, but I, mean, I, no, like, I don't know if I want to eat it. Like when the, you the roast, thought of crystallized burnt look, sugar on the outside, no, like that, that, when that's you not roast a marshmallow, me. that is fun. Everybody listening knows that. Okay, when you roast a mar, even if you put it in the microwave, it's fun. It comes yeah. out messy, it's gooey, whatever. It's delicious. I'm not saying that's it's even every, worse. No, I'm not saying it's every night. I'm not saying it's every day. I'm not saying it's number one, like you said, in the world, ever ambiguous of all snacks and all sweets and all treats. But s'mores are awesome. S'mores rock. Let's go s'mores. It's not, look. <sighs> National S'more Day. It's at the end of the day, I, listen, when it comes to sweets, right, I am a sweet connoisseur. I, yes, I, I will stand tall, but I will die on that hill. You already know that. 
But if I ever had, if somebody said, when the last time you had a s'more? I'm like, man, you know, it's been a long time. Yes. A long time. Now, is s'mores good? Yes. Because it's foolproof. Love graham crackers. Love chocolate. Love marshmallows. Right? It, 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 now, our own Christian Gokel kind of came at Kevin. He said, what if you got milk chocolate? What if you got white chocolate? Let's not even start that. What if you got dark chocolate? What if you got big marshmallows? What if you got the little itty-bitty marshmallows? I mean, Kevin says, listen, Kevin says, Kevin, if you got the triple chocolate s'more, does it kill your myth of there is no triple? No, no, you said the double fudge. I mean, the triple chocolate and yeah. all these different. I will say, it's more. that's more of a, a, a kid treat, like, Hey, you know, they, 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 they where they going, BJ, they're tearing up your house, you, and you, you hit them with the, hey, 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 y'all guys want to do some s'mores? Yeah. You know, you're trying to get them to, you know, hey, I like s'mores. I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn it down. You know, I'm not going to turn it down. But National S'mores Day, Kevin is not a big s'mores guy. Okay, no, so, s'mores are overrated. So if we have the stuff and we're all at Kevin's house. Yep. S'mores are I, very much overrated. And I see it all. And I yes. go, and there's already a fire in the back. You know, Kevin's got a nice big fire pit nice. and all like that. Uh-huh. And we go. Y'all want to do some s'mores? Both of y'all are going to say no? No, no, no. What, I will, I will start no, what, 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 no, hey, no, is. What's going to happen is, right? Yeah, I'm going to stick I'm, 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 I'm stick my marshmallow on my stick last. I'm going to let the kids go out there and I'm, you know. And then I'm going to try I'm gonna try to, this is what I'm really going to try to do. I'm going to try to tell one of the kids, boy, you don't know what you're doing. Let me, let me show you what I'm going to eat his and mine and I'm going to leave. You ain't my s'more. Get out. But no, s'mores are good. Like mar- marshmallows and chocolate. The end. Put whatever you want on each side, on the other side of it. The graham crackers, though. Hey, that's all I'm saying. You could do a, you can, I mean, you could do a double. Uh oh. I mean, you, you could do yeah, all kind of stuff. I mean, I mean, the likelihood of me doing a double or a triple is happening. You know, it's happening. You know, I mean, BJ, you, BJ, we also did a, we did like a national cheese day, and somebody put Velveeta. So I'm just saying, there are people out there who are very <laughs> weird. They did. That was Brooks Austin. Yeah, Brooks Austin. Brooks Austin is top, is top five cheese. Top he had Velveeta three. I'm like, he that's said, not even cheese. That's not cheese. It's cheese product. Velveeta or something like that. Velveeta. No, s'mores are overrated. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> when I became adult, I put away childish things. <laughs> we got more to come. That's take three. Clay Helton, Georgia Southern. Uh, football, he's going to join us when we return. It's three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Back to three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin BJ and Ben College Football in a countdown towards the start of the season coming up right there around Labor Day. A lot of folks getting ready for this. And, of course, in Statesboro, beautiful Eagle Creek's got a lot of Eagles uh, surrounding it as they're back at it uh, for fall practice. First day in full pads was yesterday. And the head coach of the Georgia Southern Eagles, Clay Helton, joins us uh, here on the program. Uh, coach, you've been with the program seemingly a long time, but now the countdown is officially on towards that, that first game. How excited was it for the first practice? And uh, what's that anticipation like for you where I mean, you've been with the, the the program what close to nine months, and you're finally yeah. getting close to uh, close to playing a football game here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it is exciting. Uh, I tell you what, to be here since November second, uh, develop the trust and relationship with kids, put a lot of work in the off season strength and conditioning program, installed three new systems, uh, have a great summer program, and now be six practices in. Uh, you know, it's time. It's getting close to time to get on that football field. So we're really excited here. Camp is going great. Uh, we look forward to the opening game in Paulson. And it's that time. And uh, after nine uh, long months of uh, work, it's uh, going to be fun to go out and play a game. Coach, what are your priorities uh, here in fall camp, the priorities for you and your staff? 
Yeah, it's really the now, you know, we basically built our culture in the off season. We put in those systems uh, in spring and now it's really to develop the depth chart. You know, we, we brought in 33 newcomers uh, into this with last uh, year's class, uh, evaluating them, uh, see who fits best in our systems to date and to walk out there with a group that is ready to compete in game one. And the guys are competing at a really high level on both sides of the ball uh, and in all three phases. So it's been an ultra competitive camp. Um, we've got a big scrimmage uh, coming up this Saturday, another one coming up next Saturday uh, in Savannah. Uh, and and uh, that should dictate kind of where we are at going into game one. Coach, what are, what are you looking <clears throat> Having some little <laughs> apologies. What, what are you look, looking for specifically? Though I know as a coach, you, you talk about how competitive mm-hmm. it is, but – I always had mm-hmm. coaches tell me, Ben, no, it has to look a certain way. Like, I know we got the athleticism. What are you living, looking for specifically to say, listen, I know you can backpedal. I know you can run. I know you can hit. But we have to practice and look a certain way when we out there. Yeah, you, you know, you will always want a consistent football player, a guy that produces day in and day out, that, that doesn't have bad days uh, with his production. And so, you know, the more consistent you are as a player, the more opportunities that you're going to get. Uh, and these guys, are we're working three, four groups right now each and every day. Uh, we've got 110 members that just went to camp. Now we're in, we started school today, so our roster goes up, you know, in the 130s. Uh, and so we have a full team now, and to be able to see those kids over the next two weeks, it's going to be a lot of fun and see who is the consistent, who does produce each and every day, and who does it at the highest level. And uh, the guys that play the best, no matter where you're from, no matter what class you're in, it doesn't matter how old, how young, uh, this game is dictated on who's playing the best in the moment. Clay Helton, Georgia Southern head coach, joining us here on 3 and Out, and I know you're transitioning away from the option, not necessarily the Paul Johnson option, uh, but an option-based scheme nonetheless. Have you found in that that you have a lot of what I guess I would call hybrid players uh, in that season? Has has it been an easier transition because you have guys that maybe were running back and play slot, maybe they could play DB? Maybe Have you found that uh, kind of process to be interesting at, uh, I guess, the versatility potentially of, uh, of your roster here? Yeah, that was a big shock to me when I got here. And remember, I had three games, which was the greatest gift you can give any head coaches, to be able to evaluate the last three games of the season and see who's actually on the team and, and see your needs uh, was critical. And w- to my pleasant surprise, there were five kids on this team that really stood out at receiver uh, that we were like, oh, my gosh, yeah, we can do what we want to do, which is a physical style run game that can be explosive down the field with vertical passing game. Um, we added uh, a, another six scholarship receivers uh, through the signing class. It really bolstered that room and brought competition to that room. And now you're looking at almost a three deep that anybody that we walk out there, we feel really confident in. Um, and you add Kyle Van Treese and a bunch of young quarterbacks that can spin it uh, and are pretty good gunslingers. Uh, now it marries up with a running game that's going to feature a, a Jalen White and a Gerald Green, some newcomers that are coming in like Amari Arnold, possibly Terrence Gibbs when he when he's fully healthy. You know, so exciting balance right now with our offense, and uh, it wouldn't have happened unless those older receivers that were here last season uh, provided that depth for us. Obviously, you've been asked a thousand times about the uh, offensive identity. I mean, coaches, some of that fluid and is going to be based week to week, or do you guys have – 
hey, this is our goal. This is what we want to do. This is our script per se. And, and we're going to commit to that? Or kind of how do you view the evolution of the offense this season? Yeah, you, you know, we're 21 practices in. We've had 15, you know, spring practices, six now in training camp. So we got a pretty good feel of, of where we're at. And we like our weapons. Uh, I mean, I think every skill kid on this team is going to be productive uh, across the board at, at wide receiver, tight end, uh, running back, quarterback. I like our offensive line. They have probably – developed the most because they were a majority run football team uh, that has really learned pass protection technique and fundamentals and it was really come on fast and so right now where we're at I truly believe we can be that balanced offense that can be explosive down the field uh, but still be physical uh, in the run game in between the tackles. Coach once once uh, Coach Ellis is uh you know, offense is fully installed. Obviously, he wants to throw the ball a lot, wants to play the up-tempo offense. How much better is it going to make your defense? I know they're not going to see that type of offense every day in the Sun Belt, every week in the Sun Belt, but how much better does it make a defense to know that, look, man, if you can stop the pass, make a team, you know, uh, one-dimensional, it gives you a better shot of being, you know, a top-ranked defense. Yeah, you know, when you're playing the better teams in the country, uh, and it doesn't matter if it's NFL or college football, you know, you look at the teams that are elite in the country, they know how to throw the football. Uh, and they know how to get it down the field. And so to be able to be able to do that on a consistent basis in every practice, you know, you're going against the quality receivers and quarterbacks that our DBs are having to go against, it makes you a better defense. Plus the tempo, the conditioning that you're getting in practice, you probably won't see that tempo on any Saturday. It's going so fast. So it slows down the game. And I've had our kids come to, to me and say, well, Coach, we won't face anything this fast in our, in our league. And I said, yeah, that'll make it easier. It's going to make you a better condition. You're going to be, when the fourth quarter hits, you're just going to be hitting your stride. And so it has been a benefit to our defense. And I hope it's a benefit the most to our defense in the amount of points that we score. You know, I thought we our defense held us in a lot of games last year, kept it close. And now hopefully with a more productive uh, offense that puts more points on the board, we can now – complement that defense that uh, is a physical defense that really kept us in games last year. Coach, your first month, uh, Morgan State, Nebraska, UAB, Ball State, obviously you're going to see a little bit of everybody uh, uh, right there in the in the first month when you're putting this together. And you said you got three games to kind of see where you're at. How quickly do you think this group of guys has grasped what you guys are trying to implement, and how quickly do you think that translates to the game day f- uh, field when the other team obviously doesn't know what you're trying to do play in and play out. Yeah, you know, it's going to be uh, it's, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, anytime you have 33 newcomers uh, that haven't really stepped onto the college football field as a coach, you go, okay, how is this going right. to look? Are they going to have the deer in the headlights eyes or are they just going to walk out there and it's just like practice? You know, we're going to try a couple simulations. Uh, we got a big scrimmage uh, this Saturday with a, a lot of our alumni that'll be in the stands coming down to Savannah to see to, at Memorial Stadium where that's going to be open to our fans and hopefully where they're playing in front of some people get some of those performance jitters out, uh, out of them uh, before that opening ball game. Uh, but I, you know, I really believe if the good Lord will keep us healthy uh, with with the upper echelon of our group, I think we got a great opportunity to do some special things this year. You open up Sunbelt Conference play at Coastal Carolina on October the first. A lot of people around the country are talking about the Sunbelt and the talent and the depth of the league. Uh, what are your expectations for the Sunbelt this season, and what's it going to take to be successful in that league? 
Yeah, what a highly competitive league, I'm going to tell you. This is going to be one of those. It's going to be the premier group of five league in the country uh, over the next couple of years. I, I truly believe you're going to look up and you're going to see two, three, four top 25 teams coming out of this league. Uh, between the, the quality of the players that are in this league, the quality of coaches, uh, the one thing I've been telling our team is how important it is going to be to be able to stay in the moment and to truly focus on this week and this day and try to go 1-0 this week. Don't don't get caught up in the next week or what's after it. Uh, don't think about the, you know, uh, what's coming down November. In this league, if you don't give your absolute best effort and focus towards the opponent that you have and don't do the best job that you can do, you're going to get your butt beat. And so um, we we know that, especially you know, you look at that east side, that east side that has had a lot of success uh, with the with the teams that have been over there in the past couple of years. We've got a uh, a huge task in front of us, and we're excited about that. That's that's why we all came to Georgia Southern uh, to compete on a national level uh, with quality teams. And and obviously our presidents and Commissioner Gill have done a wonderful job at putting together an extremely strong league. <laughs> Coach, as you mentioned, you've been there since November. We know about mm-hmm. Georgia Southern. You know about the tradition. <clears throat> the city of Statesboro. I mean, they've been yes. embracing you since you've gotten there. I, I don't know if you've – I don't know how many restaurants. There's a bunch of them there these days. It's, you know, Stays Brothers Bougie these days, Coach. They got they got yeah. big-time restaurants down there now. But talk about yeah. the city itself and how it's wrapped its arms around you and the missus and making sure you guys know that. Look, we know you the head coach of Georgia Southern, which you're going to be the most visible person there. But how has the city embraced you? Yeah, whether it's been Statesboro, whether it's been South Georgia, Savannah, I just, I tell you what, I've been blown away by the community. I've been blown away by the people. You hear it. I mean, I've been in college football for 27 years. You know the history of Georgia Southern, the tradition of excellence, and you hear about what a great place it is to live and the people that are around you. And now having my boots on the ground and being here since November, I can tell you it's honestly true. I mean, from the friendships and support of the alumni that and, and just the fan base, um, has been stellar. Uh, and, you know, obviously you're in the honeymoon phase, uh, but there is a genuineness to how much they love this university and they want to see it be great. And that's our job as coaches and as players and as staff uh, to go win championships and win championships for them because obviously they're giving us the resources that we need to go be champions. Now, Coach, obviously before we let you go, you've been practicing. It's 100 degrees outside. Have you snuck off to just go baptize yourself in Eagle Creek, beautiful Eagle Creek over there? How how many times have you been in that thing? (laughs) Well, we're we're getting ready to have our mock game week when we go over there. And during the week, we'll go over there every Tuesday during the season. That place is a place of honor and a place of tradition and really want to bring it back into the fold for this team. We used it a lot in the spring uh, as far as uh, our spring trainings and our winter conditioning. But every Tuesday, our most physical practice day, we're going over to Eagle Creek. Uh, I will be baptized on that (laughs) game week on that Tuesday, uh, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, But uh, every time you go over there and you cross that, you hit the bridge running, um, you get goosebumps because you know that championships have been built on that place and you know how many great players, historical players, have played on that field. Coach, I'd be remiss. You, you mentioned Fan Day coming up this Saturday in Statesboro. What can you tell us about that for uh, for the Eagle fans this weekend? Yeah, so we got two big big days. Uh, obviously, this Saturday will be at Paulsum here in Statesboro. Uh, it's at 7. 7- 
seven o'clock at night. We are three of our first four games are at night, so we're going to pr practice a scrimmage under the lights. And then next Saturday, we get to come to Savannah. Uh, we're going to kind of simulate, uh, obviously, having uh, Armstrong uh, there and and having our university campus there. We're going to practice at Memorial Stadium, kind of be on the road and get a feeling, uh, get a sense of that, of being able to stay focused while going on the road and being able to see our other fan base right there in Savannah and our alumni. Uh, that's going to be at 10 a.m. Uh, we're going to have a kids clinic right after it. Uh, bring your kids out. Uh, they're going to meet a lot of the players and get to work with them a little bit. Uh, so you can uh, go to gsathletics.com and be able to sign up for that. Uh, and we look forward to seeing our alumni these uh, next two Saturdays. And come on out. It helps us. Coach Clay Helton, head football coach, Georgia Southern. Uh, they're getting started coming up against Morgan State that first Saturday there in September. Coach, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me. That is Coach Clay Helton joining us here on 3 and Out, back with more all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Here it is, 3 and Out. Kevin BJ and Ben will hear from Gurav Vidak, Battery Power on SB Nation. Vaughn Grissom. Going to make his major league debut. He's the next in line of the Braves' top prospects. I think his home position is shortstop, second base. He's going to play second base tonight. Uh, hit ninth for the Atlanta Braves. We'll get to Gorov coming up top of the last hour. D. Orlando Ledbetter going to join us. AJC uh, covering the Atlanta Falcons. We'll get the latest from Falcons camp uh, there as well. But, Ben, NFL news, uh, we talked about this a lot with uh, you know Deshaun Watson. Ruling comes down, six games. Roger Goodell says, eh. Not so fast. What uh, what do you have uh, there? The latest coming out on that case. Yes, uh, I know that Deshaun Watson continues to make headlines for everything, but uh, what he does on the uh, on the field. I mean, I heard some reports that saying if everything stays the same, but there is no ruling he is picked to start. Uh, I think on Friday against the Jaguars. But uh, you know, the current trend when it comes to what's going on with Deshaun Watson is um, his fate is now in the hands of former New Jersey Attorney uh, General. Peter C. Harvey, who is overseeing the appeal. He was appointed by Goodell as agreed upon in the CBA. <laughs> Harvey is a former federal prosecutor who was on the NFL committee that suspended Dallas Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott for six games in 2017. All this comes down to this. Uh, you know, Judge Sue Robinson, she ruled on it. She said he gets six games. You know, here comes the public outcry. Roger Goodell doesn't really like handing down punishment. So, uh, Judge Sue Robinson uh, uh, did it based on previous um, – Rulings that the NFL, she followed the NFL uh, guidelines as far as like her rulings. Now, you keep hearing this, the NFL is suggesting a year. It's suggesting a year. Why does Roger Goodell keep saying that? Because if and when, if and when, uh, you know, um, uh, Judge Harvey does not hand down a, you know, a year suspension. But the first one didn't. Yeah. That's what, that's what well, I'm saying. This, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is making sure you're saying, no, this is, a, this is a, <laughs> throw your hands up. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. We, we did Sue Robinson. She said this. Now we got attorney general, you know, former attorney generals doing this. If they don't give a year, that's it. Like, but, because this is what people got to look at this timeline. You know how many games the NFLPA wanted him to get? Zero. That's why you go to Sue Robinson. Judge Sue Robinson, based off, she's not going to just rule on it. She's going to look at how the NFL rules on things. That's how she came up with the six games. Now, you see how, like, all of a sudden, okay, now we're seeing who ruled on Ezekiel Elliott. You see how they keep using people who they kind of got ties with. I think that's what's going to end up happening. I do think he's going to get more, more games. I don't know if it's going to be a year. But I got to say this. No matter what he gets, it's not going to be enough to people who feel as though he should, he should get two years, three years. 
Roger Goodell does not like being, right? I don't want to be the one hand out disciplinary, no action. I don't want to be the disciplinary guy. I do it, but I don't want to do it. So I'm going to go to the attorney general, former attorney general, who just ruled over Zico Elliott case in 2017. That that, that sounds a lot like to me. He's not going to get a year because you have to justify it. Now, I've heard things, and Roger Goodell said things. We looked through it. It was egregious. And, you know, it was predatory. But this is what people are not hearing. Out of the 24 women that that accused um, Deshaun Watson, they're only looking at four of them. They ain't looking at the other 20. They're looking at four. So as the as the Deshaun Watson drama turns, Roger Goodell is saying all the things. I'm not saying he's. I'm not saying it's premeditated. Look, it was egregious. It was predatory. If you read through some of this stuff, but by going outside of you, you say, "Hey, man, my hands are tied." They negotiate this in the CBA. They didn't like how I was disciplining guys, so I'm going to judge. You know, I'm going to Zoo Robinson. Y'all don't like what she said. All right, now this is now I'm going to go to Attorney General Harvey. You know, if you don't like what he says, that's it. It ain't going to be no, well, who else you got, Roger? No, this is it. Whatever whatever happens after this, they're going to have to live with it. I'm not, I just think in a situation like this, no matter, worst case scenario, Deshaun Watson uh, doesn't play a year, he loses a million dollars. That's it. Because everybody said he's already been suspended. Wrong, he just didn't play in 2021. He was not suspended, and he got his full salary. He got $10.5 million. He settled with 20 women. He No, I'm sorry. He didn't play in 2021. He went to court. Court said, hey, man, we can't find we can't find nothing justifiable to charge him. People go, oh, no. So now you go to Sue Robinson. She says six games. Nope. Now you got the attorney general. Whatever he says, that's it. It ain't going to be no, okay, Roger, let's go, let's go to the current attorney general. It's not <laughs> going to keep going. And I'm not justifying Deshaun Watson by no stretch of the imagination. While you think you want outside parties doing stuff, every other person that you give something to, they're gonna look at it different. They're gonna go, now they're gonna go through the judiciary process. They, don't, they ain't just making stuff up, but they're gonna go as the, as the, you know as rule of law. They're gonna go to what the rule of law is. I think he deserves a year. Do I think he's gonna get a year? It's gonna be hard. I don't think he's gonna get it. That's why Roger Goodell keeps saying we suggested a year. Well, we who well, the yeah, NFL? That's the title of the the. The latest uh, link I clicked on on ESPN, it says NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell says evidence calls for at least full-year suspension for Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson. And then in the story, I believe this is uh, Jeff Legwold, ESPN senior writer, uh, uh, says NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell says the league is seeking a tougher penalty for Deshaun Watson because the quarterback's actions were egregious and predatory behavior. Egregious and predatory behavior in quotes. Um but like you said, I mean, is this this is the this this final review is going to determine what the length of the suspe- uh, 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 suspension is, and that is kind of there is no secondary this is appeal. The, by, this is the appeal. But I there guess. is no this next is, move no, by Roger Goodell or whatever. No, this is it. Like like uh, once again, you know, Watson's fate now lies in the hands of former New Jersey Attorney General Peter C. Harvey who was overseeing the appeal. He was appointed by Goodell as agreed upon in the CBA. So that's what the players agreed upon. Harvey is a former federal prosecutor who was on the NFL committee that suspended Dallas Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott for six games in 2017 and made an accusation of domestic violence. Harvey's eventual decision is not subject to further appeal. So once whatever former attorney, journey, uh, uh, attorney general Harvey appeal is, that's it. Because this is the thing. At a certain point, this thing ends. So whatever, attorney, whatever he does, you got to live with it. Think about what Roger Goodell said, though. He said, oh, man, the NFL wants a year. Well, you could have just gave him a year. 
No, I don't well, want to be yeah. one over. I don't want to be one I, I, I think this whole thing has been weird where, you know, Roger Goodell gets to pick the guy handling the appeal. I mean, come on. I, I, I know it's like, does anybody think it's going to be six games? Like, it's going to be more. We got more to come. It's three and out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Goran Vidak, Battery Powder of SB Nation, going to join us. We're talking Braves baseball, top prospect Vaughn Grissom in the lineup tonight, going to make his major league debut. Braves have pulled up a couple of top prospects this year, and Michael Harris seems to be working out uh, so far so good. Also, D. Orlando Ledbetter, the latest from Falcons camp. And as Ben said, we're going to get the 100 from D. Orlando about who's actually looking good or are we looking at the second coming of Russell Wilson? Getting those 2012, <laughs> getting those 2012 Russell Wilson vibes out there. Last time we talked to the Orlando, uh, Kevin, he told us, quote, Drake London can run the go route. They just won't throw it to him. Uh, I'm going to need you to throw him one. Hopefully he's had one I mean, throw I have to concerns. him uh, The offensive line concerns me. Uh, oh, there's a lot of yeah. reasons for concern uh, at the end of the day. M- most importantly, they were almost near the bottom in running the ball, stopping the run, getting after the quarterback. There was a lot of things to have concerns about. We'll address some of those. With, uh, with D. Orlando as the Falcons close in on their first preseason game coming up this weekend. This is 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Gura Vidak joins us next. Good to have you back. Here it is, 3 and Out final hour. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. D. Orlando Ledbetter set to join us coming up in just a little bit. We're efforting Gura Vidak. Of Battery Power, SB Nation covers the Atlanta Braves. Braves trying to finish up a short two-gamer against the Boston Red Sox. Mets have already won today, so the Braves trying to keep pace. Uh, but the big news is Vaughn Grissom gets the call up for the Atlanta Braves. Top prospect in the, the farm system. And we'll get to see where another one of these infielders. He's going to play second base, bat ninth tonight, take the field. Michael Harris, top prospect, got the call up earlier. Of course, Austin Riley. Ronald Acuna Jr. We've seen some of these guys over the last couple of years make their uh, uh, appearances. This is a dude that's got 98 plate appearances at Double A. He's batting 363 uh, this year at at Double A, having a great start to his Double A career. So, BJ Ben, I know sometimes you talk about it. You have guys that are big time prospects. Sometimes they're just ready. Andrew Jones, I don't think, played a whole lot at AAA at all. I think he went double-A straight to the bigs, and you see that happen from time to time uh, with guys in the major leagues, or yeah. getting to the major leagues, I should say. Yeah, Von, and, let's, and let's call it what it is, too. I mean, trends are, have, have a lot to do with how uh, how everything goes, right? It helps a guy like Von Grisham when uh, Michael Harris does what he's doing. I mean, it helps when you look at you know uh, what Austin Riley has done since he's been called up. I think the thing is, too, though, he's feeling a need. The question is always, when do you call a player up, not that you call them up? I don't know if there's the right time. I think that Ian Anderson got called up, BJ, during the COVID year, and I think his first start was against the Yankees. I think his second start was against the Red Sox. He had to play you know, in the postseason. You, the only way you're going to learn the game is by being out there. And it's great. I, I think I saw something to where uh, Grisham was sitting there doing, you know, in the batting cage, and then Michael Harris is over there talking to him, welcoming him in. Nobody's making Michael Harris do that. And then he said that Grisham told him about five times, man, I can't believe I'm here. Because – I don't know what it's like. You know, baseball is such a, a peculiar sport where you talk about, you know, uh, you get drafted and then you got to go, you know, single A, double A, triple A. Certain guys, Kevin, as you let me know, never get called up. Like, there are guys who, no, my life is going to be, uh, you know, uh, you know, minor league baseball. But a guy like Von Grisham, 
Obviously, he's doing incredible things, and I said being able to get called up on a team that they need you, you are a key contributor. You are not the contributor. And I think if you can you can have a bunch of you can have a bunch of guys, uh, what they say, you know, uh, um, I don't wanna I don't wanna have a superstar role. I just wanna be a superstar in the role that I have. I don't got to be Ronald Lacuna. Nobody's him. You think uh, listen, you don't think uh Ronald Lacuna went over to Austin Riley and say, boy, I keep hitting them home runs by 212 meters, boy. I appreciate <laughs> you know, it's like, and that's what makes a good team. When you're rooting for you, when you're rooting and everybody uh has a has a skill set. Looking forward to seeing him, but you say Kevin Batten ninth, uh uh in the order. Go out there and be yourself. And I think because they're asking you to come up for your glove and whatever you can give us at the plate as a bonus. I think that makes the transition a little bit easier. And talented player, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, I would assume if he's batting ninth, he's batting in between Michael Harris and Ronald Acuna. So should be getting some, you know, some good that's a great spot to be productive. Sure. And and I think with the confidence he has right now, the way he's swinging at the plate, again, what, almost three seventy at double A and uh had a had a home run not long ago at double A. Ben, you mentioned his defensive ability. Obviously, you play middle infield, uh, turning double plays. I mean, you're going to have a lot of action. He's 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 more than capable there. I, I I'm excited. And not only did you mention you're coming into a team with other stars, right? Acuna and 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 I mean, Riley may be the MVP favorite with the way he's playing. I know Goldschmidt is obviously doing his thing sure. with the Cardinals, but I mean, Riley again last night. Uh, Dansby continuing. To do his thing, I mean, it's hands me two run home off of the ground. That's man. right. It's nice. You're coming to a team that matters. Not only are you being called up on a team that's very good, you're coming to a team that right now is number one in the wild card spot. And listen, you might not win the East, but at the end of the day, it's about getting in the playoffs. At the end of the day, it's about getting in the tournament. And right now, Atlanta's in a great position to do that. I think even with their relative recent slide. What they're four games up uh, for the number one wild card spot, and that matters. Uh, teams go from the wild card to the next round to the World Series. This is, I mean, these, this is the defending World Series champion. You are coming up and are in the starting lineup for the champs, for a team that right now is in an important stretch. I mean, you're playing Boston tonight. I know Boston has taken a little bit of a uh, step back, but you're starting in Fenway Park tonight. You're starting for a team that. Is you know vying in the wild card. I mean, the Phillies have been red hot. The obviously the Padres have gone out and done everything they can do. I wouldn't totally write off the East yet. There's still what 50, 50 games left or so. Uh, but this is an exciting opportunity for Vaughn. He's earned it. He's a really talented player, and just a lot of reasons to be excited about this lineup. I mean, guys, when you think about Grissom's debut, when you think about Riley's hot streak. I mean, how about Acuna with a couple of just Base running just just gems last night. Dansby coming through in the clutch. Uh, Kyle Wright goes tonight. I mean, he's been a guy that has had a career year. So I think there's still a lot of reasons for optimism, including Von Grissom around this team. And again, Von Grissom, top prospect, the Braves uh, system calling up. You also activate Kirby Yates, who a couple years ago was the save leader in the American League to add to that bullpen. So you've got, obviously, Kenley Jansen. Kirby Yates, no longer Will Smith, but I don't know how many people were upset. Tyler Matzik, who was huge last night, uh, and, and A.J. Minter, who you feel like will fall back into where you want him to be. That's still a very, very good back end of the bullpen, and guys with a lot of experience. So good chance you see Kirby Yates late in the game tonight. You saw Iglesias and, last night. Yeah, Rossiel Iglesias was, was a good pickup. And, uh, again, you've got a lot of power arms. Kirby Yates was dominating. 
uh, at Triple A Gwinnett and Vaughn Grissom, people were just saying, "Look, a hundred, not even a hundred plate appearances, and this kid's hitting over three sixty. Uh, he's going to get the chance uh, to come up and show he can play." And people say, well, "What happens when uh, you know Albies comes back potentially in a couple of weeks? Do you send him back down? Uh, the minor league season will be over at that point, uh, but keep him around maybe as the September call up. Maybe you put him in left field. Maybe if he keeps hitting." Even if it's, he's not known for power, he's known for hitting for average, you sit Marcelo Zuna and say, look, homer or bust, we can't have it. And so I think this kid's coming up uh, with a wealth of opportunities to get more playing time. Uh, because you could say, well, he doesn't play outfield. Well, you do now. You know who else didn't play outfield? Austin Riley. He did it. Right? When Josh Donaldson was Dude, on the Chipper team. Chipper Jones played yeah, yeah. outfield. Uh, you I know, when, when Austin Riley was on third, they said, hey, didn't we just Evan signed Josh Donaldson. play outfield? Right. I mean, uh, you know. When you get Josh Donaldson and you're a rookie, Austin Riley, hey, go play out there. Hey, you're a rookie. Do you want to stay in the major leagues? Because if you do, go play left field. It can't be any worse than putting Ozuna out there. God knows. So I I think this kid, if he hits the way he can, he's going to stay in the lineup. And the Braves will find a way to keep him out there, even if, you know, Ozzie Albies comes back here in September. How does Yates fit in? Um, Because I know that, you know, bullpen situation is kind of fluid. You have Mentor. Uh, Iglesias last night, even though he gave up a run, I thought with with runners on, came back and and showed some real toughness, getting a couple of strikeouts. Uh, you know, Jansen's been one of the best in the game. Matzik is Matzik. I know you have different options, sure. but if you're if you're Brian Snicker, I mean, it's, it's another power arm. I mean, but but, but what, what what I'm saying, do you have an a, an idea in theory, or you or do you go into every night basically saying we'll see how it goes? I, I think if 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 I'm Brian Snicker, I'm saying look. Get me to the. I'm. I hate saying this, but it's just the way baseball is done now. Get me to the seventh inning. If we have a lead, you're not gonna. You're not gonna beat us most nights. Um, you know the Mets did it, and that was that was tough. But I mean, you were behind early to the Mets in most of those ball games uh, as well. But to me, Kenley Jansen been one of the best doing it. Kirby Yates led the American League in saves uh, before he had to go down uh, with with injury. Rafael Iglesias was up for the Mariano Rivera Relief Man of the Year uh, award. Uh, with the Angels. And then you know what Matzik and A.J. Minter uh, can do and have done for the, for the Atlanta Braves. So to me, you've got options. You've got guys who uh, can bring the power, can bring the filth, can bring the, the, the nastiness at the back end of the uh, the bullpen. And you've gotten rid of Will uh, Smith, who outside of, can't, and again, as Ben said earlier, you, you, you can't just dismiss what Will Smith did in the postseason especially. But in the regular season, he was average to poor. And now you've replaced him essentially with Kirby Yates, Rossiel Iglesias, who are power arms, who are and I do can go wonder, there and get after you. I do wonder, and I guess this is the question I was thinking about. I mean, because we've seen Mentor become more of a. I know in the past he was the closer, then he was the setup. Matzik is obviously whenever it's crunch time, he comes in. I mean, in theory, is it Kirby Yates in the seventh, Rossiel Iglesias in the eighth, Kenley Jansen in the ninth? In a perfect world, is and if that... you need lefties, Mentor and Matzik are there to get the key outs. I, I look, I, I think that could be. Uh, I'm interested to see how Brian Snicker handles it. Again, this is day one with some new toys, right? Yep. Yeah, with some new weapons yep. uh, at your disposal. So, how does he do it? I know the Braves going back to Bobby Cox, and Bobby Cox has kind of laid the groundwork when he had Freddie Gonzalez and Brian Snicker certainly been in the Braves organization, studied at the feet of Bobby Cox. Again, this is typical Braves. Hey, we're calling you up. You're in the lineup. We we didn't call you up to sit the bench and mess around. You're. You're not going to get to be all nervous for two days before we. No, you're in the lineup. 
I would not be surprised if you see Kirby Yates out there tonight, even if it's not close or what. Hey, you're back in the big leagues, coming back from injury, you're out there. Go go pitch. Um, so I think Brian Snicker's probably eager to see what these guys can do uh, as well. But you've got new weapons at your disposal, and I think you've gotten you know, power arms. What, what is baseball becoming? <clears throat> Give me a lead, and I'm going to come out here with guys that throw upper 90s and throw disgusting breaking stuff and see what you can do with that. And that's not just the Braves formula. That's, I mean, look around baseball. How many dudes come in in the 8th and ninth inning and throw 102? Uh, I mean, a lot of guys do now. So I think if I'm Brian Snicker, I don't know if you have the guy that can quite do that, but you have guys that can come in and throw hard and throw disgusting breaking stuff. And, and get guys out, and you've added more of those guys. Uh, I think Will Smith was kind of more of a finesse guy. I don't know how many finesse guys you have at the back end. These guys are coming in trying to sling it, uh, you know, uh, as hard as they can and make you hit it. So I think the back end got, to me, a little bit more built on the dominating side, especially with the lead. I'm excited to see what they can do now that you have it at, at your disposal. And, again, Vaughn Grissom, I, I, I think it's one of those things. You've had less than 100 plate appearances. If you think you know what he's going to do against big league pitching, you have no idea. You, you, you don't. You see the upside. You see the potential. But roll him out there and let's see what happens. Right? Yep. Good sign that he got there, and yep. he's already working out with Ron Washington, getting to work oh, in. Yeah. I um, mean, I, Ben, when you debut in the pros, <clears throat> and I know it's different, you know, Vaughn Grissom's been a pro athlete. Obviously, he's been, you know, in, in the minor leagues. But advice for tonight, man. Your first, I mean, how do you, whether it's, been Michael Harris or whoever it's been, whether it's been Spencer Strider. I mean, what's how do you how do you maintain your focus? How do you kind of take it all in when you step on that biggest of all? Well, I mean, the and you're in one of the most yeah, yeah. famous Fenway. venues in the history of baseball. So. Uh, the best thing to do is uh, not be afraid to make a mistake. I think when you go out there trying to be mistake free, you ain't breathing, and you put yourself in a position to make more mistakes. And the thing, and the and the greatest thing about the greatest thing about a guy. Uh, you know, uh, you know, like Vaughn is, he got guys close to his age. I mean, Michael Harris, he's only been in the bigs, what, three months? He ain't been in the bigs that long. He ain't playing like he's been in the bigs three months. But you need guys young enough to understand the situation because they was just – Michael Harris is no longer the new guy. Right now it's Vaughn. Hey, hey, Mike, you go, yeah, I got it. A guy that's 21 going to be, you know, mentoring a guy that's 21. But at the end of the day, man, just enjoy this moment. I mean, enjoy the fact that most guys are never, ever going to get called up. It's, it's a rare opportunity. And think about what Snit has done. You were saying the so you telling me the core of your team is in their twenties, Olsen, Al Albies, you got you got Ron Lacuna, you got Michael Harris. Now you finna have Von Grisham, you got Austin Riley. I mean, and these guys are here to what 2029. Every every league is a young man's league, not just football, it's baseball, basketball. The younger you are, and the more and the better you are, makes it so that we can go out there and build. Young guys, I mean, they they just happen to be the older guys. They want their money because they know the t- the clock is ticking. So I think that when you look at the fact that a guy like Von Grisham, he can just go – once again, he's there for his glove. Whatever you give us at the plate. Because what we say, Kevin, about Austin Ryan, we the first guy there. Hey, man, he hitting bombs. How good How good is he at, at third base? Now it's he – he he's 30 for 30. He 30, 20, 30 home runs in 2021. He's already at 30 and counting in 2022. So I'm wishing all the best for Von Grisham, and I think he just goes out there, man. You only have one first day. In everyday thing, you only got one first day. Go out there and make it happen, man, you know. And I think happens. I think more of these guys are more ready to step in uh, into a major league lineup than than ever before. I mean, you've seen a lot of guys step in. Maybe it's just what we see and hear about. But I mean, a lot of these kids, if they're top prospects, have been playing in major league ball. But you see perfect game expedition, uh, expo, yeah, expeditions and stuff like that. that. Am I saying that right? 
Exhibition? Exhibitions. Uh, exhibition. I think Expedition <laughs> is a truck. Expedition is something different. <laughs> but anyway, perfect game exhibitions out there where they're playing in Major League ballparks at 16, 17, 18 years old. So some of that, uh, I think they kind of get accustomed to it. It's like, hey, I'm here. It's my time to do uh, what, what they drafted me to do. So I'm interested to see what the kid could do tonight. He's in the lineup batting ninth. Falcons coming up later this week. They get underway for 2022. All kinds of issues with the Falcons. D. Orlando will tell us where we need to be looking come uh, this weekend. He'll join us next. It's 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Here it is, 3 and Out on this Wednesday. Glad you are with us. The Falcons counting down towards their first preseason game of the year. And uh, joining us to get us up to date on all that is happening out of Falcons camp. Good friend of the show, D. Orlando Ledbetter, covers the Falcons for AJC.com. Daryl, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, uh, BJ, Ben, and Kevin. Thanks for having me today. Hey. We appreciate you coming on and, uh, and joining us. I guess off the, off the jump, for folks that aren't at practice every day, what, what do you expect to see uh, coming up in preseason game number one? Uh, we, we've mentioned it before. Starters didn't play hardly at all, in some cases not at all, last year in the preseason. What do you expect to see with this uh, kind of new configuration of the Falcons coming up this weekend? Yeah, I expect to see them to go uh, a quarter with the starters and going back to the old plan uh, that Mike Smith used to have, uh, you know, play them a a quarter the first game, um, two quarters the second, and then the third game, you know, come out in the third quarter and then get them out of there. And then in the fourth game, you didn't play at all. So we don't have a fourth game anymore. So we definitely want to see them. um, I think they're going to play a quarter this game. Maybe two quarters this next, and then uh, bring them back for halftime in that third game. Or they might not play them that much in that third game, depending on how things go in the first two. So, yeah, we're going to see them play a little bit this year. Uh, Daryl, what, what's your biggest question right now? What, what, what position group is your biggest question for Atlanta as we start the preseason? It's the um, offensive line. Uh, you know, they got a battle at center. Uh, Dahlman and Hennessy, you know, I'm pretty sure they're going to go with Dahlman. Uh, uh, left guard, Elijah Wilkinson's beat out Jalen Mayfield thus far. And uh, Kayla McGarry has held off German Effetti thus far. And so that's basically four of the same guys. Last, Well, you might have two new starters in there. So, um, you know, uh, maybe that does improve the line. Is Elijah Wilkinson an upgrade over Jalen Mayfield? And it's Drew Dominant upgrade over Matt Hennessy. Uh, that'll be a telling factor in if the team's going to be able to run the football and protect the quarterback this year. Yeah, the last time we spoke, you told us that, you know, Drake London, while he can run the go route, they haven't thrown him a lot of go routes. Do you see, have they thrown him any since the last time we spoke? And do you see him trying to, you know, not really, uh, you know, not really try to, you know, uh, throw too many routes at him in the, you know, his first preseason game, but do you see him trying to throw some deep balls just to kind of see if, if the young man can find a way to get open one-on-one? Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen the deep ball to him. A lot of crossers and in cuts for him, uh, and outbreaking stuff to the sidelines. Um, you know, it's clear they're going to try to use him like Mike Evans in the Tampa offense, uh, and they got the speedy guys bats in and uh, – the key is going to get the deep balls right now. Uh, Patterson's spending a lot of time in his backfield. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's not running the go routes yet, Ben, but, you know, that could be coming for sure. How would you describe the receiving core 
period. Uh, is, is it dangerous? Uh, do they have guys that can be dangerous? I know we talk a lot about Kyle Pitts. Got a lot of yards last year, one touchdown. I mean, uh, who's the most dangerous guy uh, for this Falcons receiving unit? Yeah, um, well, yeah, you know, Pitts, uh, Drake is going to be steady. The Brian Edwards kid's going to be steady. This is far as flat-out burners. Um, you know, I think Patterson is going to be your best bet uh, on going running nine routes and stuff. Uh, and then Zacchaeus and Cameron Batson, they have some speed. Demir Bird has some speed. Uh, one of the uh, undrafted guys, Stanley Berryhill from Arizona, uh, has looked good in camp. So, uh, you know, they got some playmakers over there. You know, the good old days of Roddy White and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley are over. Um, but you do got a tight end that can get down the field and make it happen, and you got Cordell Patterson right now. Is the expectation that, that this cornerback group is going to be a strength? I mean, we know about A.J. Terrell. You talk about Casey Hayward. I know you have some guys that are versatile on the back end that can kind of play, you know, hybrid safety corner depending upon the situation. Uh, when you look at the depth chart, is it is it fair to expect the cornerback group to be a, be a strength of this team? Um, yeah, I think so. And given their best light, you know, uh, you're going to need four corners. And Isaiah Oliver's coming back, getting more action, so you know he can play nickel. So that gives you three. Darren Hall has looked pretty good, so that gives you four. So you're feeling pretty good about that position. Both of those guys played nickel. Then Mike Ford, the special teams guys, look pretty good in there also. And D. Alford, so you got six. So, um, you know, they, they just got to go out and play. You got six right there, and then there's a couple more. Uh, that are, are doing pretty good. Valentine's back there doing pretty good. So they went out and did a good job of scouting and filling out the roster at the cornerback position. So, you know, there might probably won't be receivers just running downfield wide open like we've seen over the last few years. Daryl, I know this time of year you got guys playing out of position, trying to make squads, trying to, you know, find a way to just get noticed, maybe not be by the team they're on to make the team, but they're giving full effort. Felipe Franks, I mean, this time last year, I mean, he was trying to, you know, make the team as a quarterback now. He's out there playing tight end. I'm seeing him on special teams. What have you seen out of Felipe? Seemingly seem like he's trying to be whatever they need him to be at this point. Yeah, no question, Ben. He looks he looks so good running the route. Uh, and at first he was having problems catching the ball, but now you're seeing him catching the ball and pulling it, you know, with his hands and everything. So he's looking like a tight end. He's looking the part here in practice. Now we get to see him against some live action and see if he can handle that. But, uh, you know, last couple of days he spent some time at quarterback just in case, you know, the game gets out of hand or they're, they're winning big and they need to run out the clock and stuff or, or you know, they had him working on some two-minute stuff at the end, uh, throwing the ball to the sidelines to get out of bounds, you know, because they're going to try to get out of bounds and, you know, get a field goal or something. But, uh, yeah, he, he, he looks old. He looks old. Looks pretty good, actually, at tight end. And I'm very interested to see how he does in uh, live action. The Orlando Ledbetter, AJC.com, covers the Atlanta Falcons. And, and Daryl, how do you judge the new guys? And by new guys, the, you know, the, uh, the Desmond Ritters, the Drake Londons, the Troy Andersons, uh, Eva Kites, uh, guys like that. Because Ben and I laugh all the time. You, you, you look around and, oh, look at the Jordan Davis video. He's a beast. And Trayvon Walker got a sack. 
in his first uh, preseason game. How do you kind of judge these guys in their first action and, and not, I guess, get susceptible to the hype in a preseason game? Yeah, no question about it. You just, uh, you know, you want some things that transfer, and you want to see it. If you, if you get to the quarterback uh, against the first-team tackle, uh, you know, that that's a good sign for Arnold Ebikasi or, uh, you know, uh, D'Angelo Malone or Audio Gunderjay. So you want to see that, uh, you know, but you don't want to get too hyped about it if you're playing some bum tackle that's not going to be on the roster in a couple of weeks. So you got to always look at the matchup. You want to see production and then a matchup. And if it's a matchup that, uh, you know, bodes well for, for, you know, NFL level play, then that's a good, that's a good, uh, uh, you know, good clip, a good piece of work by that player. I know there are a lot of talented uh, young players uh, at edge rusher. What, what, what are your expectations for Lorenzo Carter? I mean, what, is there a sack number that you're looking at that would say, okay, this is success, this is improvement for the unit, and uh, uh, what's what, what's fair, I guess, to expect? Well, if he's starting at that position, you want to start at double-digit sack. So he's starting at right in, uh, right outside linebacker in this defense. That's your um, that's your LT spot. So we need you need to see him getting 10, 10 sacks. Uh, you know, and they need to get a push up the middle to push some of them out for him. So, uh, yeah, if he's going to be out there, you're going to need him to produce and not just be solid. Uh, you know, he's been solid in New York, has some, uh, you know, has, I think, a seven-sack season. But, you know, this is a better – this might be a better team, a better situation for him than he's been in with the Giants. So, uh, you know, it's not – a out of the realm of possibility that he can get to double-digit sacks. And, Dylan, I mean, I, you know, the thing about this defense, right, every single year is the same thing. Got to get to the quarterback, got to get to the quarterback. D coordinator, you know, Atlanta, he, you know, he, he went on a rant talking about I don't like the fact that people be trying to make it seem as if we haven't had good defense of the past. BJ just mentioned Lorenzo Carter. Obviously, you know, uh, you know, a Grady Jarrett signed another extension. Ebigite is going to probably be on the other outside. Can this defense this year do it by committee? I, I know you expect Lorenzo Carter to give you double digit sacks. Can they consistently one get off the get off the field on third down and force the quarterback to make quicker decisions? Yeah, that's a. It looks a lot better, Ben. It looks, you know, but they 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 haven't, uh, you know, uh, uh, gone live. You know, they got had pads, but they're not tackling. But you know, Grady's beating Elijah. Uh, Tyquan's doing pretty good on his side. Linebackers are are looking good. Walker and Evans. So it's a lot of potential out there for this unit to, you know, max out this year. So. Uh, it looks a lot better. They're not out of place. They're not uh, making the mistakes they were making last year. So it's just a matter of, uh, you know, uh, um, if they if this is going to be good enough to be a, a you know middle of the pack defense or a top ten defense like the coach uh, Dean Pease has said. The Falcons have only had one top ten defense in the last twenty years. And that was two thousand and seventeen. Uh, Marquand Manuel, and then for some reason Dan Quinn fires him. So uh, you know it's been a hot mess. But 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 yeah, he's uh and, and Coach Dean has had nine uh, top ten defenses in the thirteen years he uh, been a coordinator. Last year was his lowest season at twenty six. 
Now, it seems like they got a lot of work to do on the, on that side of the ball, no doubt. D. Orlando, uh, Ledbetter joining us here on on three and out. Obviously, people get intrigued with with the quarterbacks. What have you seen from uh, Mariota, Desmond Ritter, as those two guys? I mean, Marcus Mariota, I, I think we looked it up, has thrown, what, 11 competitive passes in two years uh, in the National Football League. What have you seen from the two guys vying for some kind of playing time here with the Falcons? Yeah, I've seen Mariota settling uh, underneath a lot, you know. Uh, I saw four or five guys open deep today, didn't throw it to him. Uh, he did put one out there for Zacchaeus uh, that Zacchaeus dropped. Uh, you know, Ritter's got Ritter's a little bit more of a gunslinger. He'll push it down the field. And uh, when he gets in there, expect some shots uh, against the Detroit Lions. I don't know if he's thrown in the coverage or not, but he's going to put it up. Uh, so that, that's what I'm seeing. They weren't real accurate early on, but, you know, that's sticking up as they get the timing down with their receivers and so forth. So they're putting the balls where, you know, the guys can – they got big, big, big receivers. They can go up and haul it down. Uh, and, you know, um, and they've got to work on their deep shot. I guess a lot will determine this, but do you think during the regular season we will see – a fair bit of Desmond Ritter, or will it take a lot? Will it take some considerable struggles for that to happen? Yeah, it would uh, take, you know, if uh, things aren't going well, uh, you know, they're going to want to see if Ritter can go at some point. Uh, you know, if uh, and then the other thing is Mariota gets hurt a lot. He hasn't uh, played 16 games, I don't believe, in his entire career, so in the season. Uh, so, uh, you know, if he gets hurt, then Ritter's got to be ready to go because you don't have any other quarterback other than uh, the tight end quarterback, slash quarterback, Felipe Frank. So, yeah, we I fully expect him to play at some point. Uh, Marcus will probably either get hurt or if they start off 1-6 and six or 1-7 and seven or something, you know, and all bets are off, you want to see if Desmond Ritter can, you know, turn the season around. And the Orlando finally, I mean, Arthur Smith going into year number two. I mean, obviously he had to do the best he could as far as like his offense last year, trying to protect Matty Ice, trying to protect Kyle Pitts, didn't really play those guys. What has been his temperament in year two? Obviously all eyes are on him, right, wrong, and different. He's going to have to find some, show some signs of improvement, especially for those, you know, watching the Specs in a very, very competitive NFC South. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, the NFC South is going to be uh, tough sledding for, for the Falcons. Uh, you know, I don't know what's happening in Carolina with Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold, uh, but certainly uh, word out of New Orleans is Michael Thomas is looking uh, better. Uh, and so that's a uh, that's problem for, for the Falcons. And then, you know, Tampa Bay, that's a Super Bowl caliber team down there. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a lot of stuff has got to happen. they got to get better fast. Uh, you know, need to come out the gate smoking when they play the Saints and then go to the Rams and then Seattle, right away we're going to know what, what this team has uh, in store for two, for us in 2022. And the Falcons and Lions square off coming up on Friday. D. Orlando Ledbetter joining us here on 3 Now. Daryl, always a pleasure, man. Thanks so much. Sure, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me. D. Orlando Ledbetter joining us. Falcons and Lions preseason game number one for them. And as he said, look, they got a lot of things to work on. Dean P's been a heck of a defensive coordinator. Uh, but he's got work to do. Uh, obviously, I, I mean, I appreciate double digit tags for Lorenzo Carter. Forgive me if I say I believe it when I see it.
uh, with this Atlanta Falcons team who we've been talking about rushing the quarterback for, for 15 years. Y'all may have talked about this already over, over the last couple of months, but I was just thinking about this when we were kind of theorizing, okay, what if it's 1-7? What if it's 1-5? I mean, I'm asking y'all this honestly, and, and I say this to the Jacksonville Jaguars fan, understanding that picking in the top five every year doesn't guarantee anything. A lot of the times when you pick in the top five, the next year you're in the top five, and the next year you're in the top five. But do you think there will be an element of the fan base, given that Bryce Young's out there, given that C.J. Stroud is out there, if things don't go well and you're one in four, do you think there will be people looking around that early going, yeah, I'm looking at Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, and not that I'm rooting for us to lose, but if we're not going to be good, maybe it benefits us to not be even close to good. I mean, do you think there will be fans that think like that? I think it's fans that think like that right now. I, I think I think regardless of uh, what the Falcons, are, it's going to be really, really hard for uh, the Falcons to contend in 2022 because you got a, you got a bunch of guys in positions they've never been in. I mean, think about it. What was Michael Biggs' biggest, biggest thing when he was with the Falcons? He never made it 16 games. Because he's a dual threat quarterback. Marcus Mariota hasn't played in a long time, never played in 16 games. Cordell Patterson is the uh, starter at running back listed. You got Drake London, who was the first receiver taken over Alave, you know, in, uh, in company, over, you know, uh, Gary Wilson and Traylon Burks and so on and so forth. You got a receiving core that has a bunch of guys that's never, ever been headliners in Brian, you know, uh, you know, you know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Brian and those guys. And uh, you talk about, uh, you know, Alden Tate. So, yes, BJ, I do think it's going to be Brian Edwards. It's going to be a bunch of guys. A bunch of fans that's because you don't want to be bottom feeders. I don't think we fully appreciate what Matty Ice brought to the table. Matty Ice, you already knew was going to be consistent. Good offensive line, bad offensive line. What a bunch, a bunch of superstars around him, one superstar around him. But yes, Marcus Mariota knows he is not the future. He is the present right now. Desmond Ritter, hey man, they got you in the third round, and they got a quarterback that also plays tight end. That doesn't really give a lot of confidence when you see what New Orleans did in the offseason. You see Tom Brady got freaking Julio. He got two former Falcons down there, Julio and Gage. Let's go along with Godwin. Let's go along with Mike Mike Davis. Let's go along with Kyle Rudolph. Let's go along you know, with Leonard Fournette. Don't even get me started. So I just think, yes, they are going to be trying to get a quarter because, Kevin, I mean, BJ, nothing makes a fan base think they're going to win more than what Joe Burrow <laughs> just did. They think, oh, man, we can just get a Joe Burrow. Not happening. That was fluky-ish. I'm not saying that Cincinnati ain't good, but you think you're finna go from the fourth, the first overall pick to the fifth overall pick to the Super Bowl? Man, I ain't saying it can't happen because we've seen it, but that that's a rarity. I, I just think that, yes, Falcons faithful right now is saying, hey, man, go all in for C.J. Stroud, go all in for Bryce Young, go all in for anybody in the current crop of quarterbacks we got right now. We've got more to come. Here it is, three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Love to hear from you on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live as well, ESPNCoastal.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Braves and Red Sox coming up here in just a little bit. We'll see the debut of Vaughn Grissom, top prospect in the Braves organization. Going to play second base uh, tonight. Could he potentially, if you can't figure out something with Dansby, could he be the Dansby replacement? Maybe. If you can't uh, get that done. I know a lot of people have uh, talked about that. Of course, the I, I believe the same agent for Dansby Swanson is the same one that uh, you know worked out well for somebody that used to wear number five in Atlanta. So we'll, we'll see how that, that works out. I told you. Not I never, to bring up bad vibes. I'm saying so. I told you I never felt good about that if you want to go back to that. 
I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, I mean, BJ, I mean, Dansby Mansby, Alex Anthopoulos. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, Dansby going Dansby obviously he's gonna be the top uh top uh, you know, a priority in the offseason. Alex Anthopoulos, if he called him up, they've been showing out. I'm just saying, I mean, only thing is, we gotta deal with now. Is is he or is is, is 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 Freed or Swanson you think the top priority in the or they're both free agents, right? I think right? both can yeah, I, I think it's Max Freed. You wanna lock it up. I mean, yeah. You, uh, you may have one more arbitration potential, always, but yeah, I think you, you want to lock. lock up you don't even want to get to that. Yeah. You always want to lock up the pitcher. I, I get that part. It ain't that Dansby Mans, but don't deserve his cheese, though. Just saying. Oh, well, well, I mean, he's doing it. it. Did it last night again? Hold on, hold on. And what do you think is disrespectful to Dansby? What do you think is a disrespectful offer to him? Because we got so disrespectful well, last good, year. Good question. I'm just saying to Kevin's point, whether it's Freddie Freeman, <laughs> whether it's Max Freed, you know, only handing out two hundred million dollar contracts. <laughs> I, I don't think you want to let it get to the last minute. Yeah. Because to me, that opens the door. And again, I know, apparently there was some you know weird stuff going on with the agent communication. Yeah, the agent got to tell him that you I gave an offer, right? Like all like <laughs> like this is all kind of just stuff that I didn't even know happened. But I, but I don't think you want to let these things get to the last minute. Now back to the game tonight. Kyle Wright's been balling. Austin Riley balling. Dansby balling. Acuna balling. Acuna uh, ball. Acuna uh, ball last. Uh, he been uh, balling uh, since the, the Mets series. Uh, 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 Grissom. Get to, get, Debut, yeah. Get to, get to see Vaughn tonight. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited, and I feel a lot better. It's amazing, like, what one game does, because I was watching. Well, no, game. they needed that. After the they Mets needed series, it, right. you needed to do something. Right. I was watching a little bit of the game with my dad, and, you know, my dad's, like, the most. Uh, he loves the Braves, but yes. he can't handle, like, any loss. And I try to explain to him, Dad, they play 162 <laughs> games. They're going to lose some games. 162 and, and, oh, and, and nothing. And he's, like, on the verge <laughs> But I was kind of feeling a little antsy, too. They needed that last night. They needed it. Yeah, went to extras. Uh, if it got away from me, I mean, uh, let's just be real. The, the Red Sox are not a good baseball team right now. Uh, they were sellers at the deadline. Uh, they're a team that is now behind the Baltimore Orioles in the American League East. The Baltimore Orioles are playing really good baseball, and they're, I think, a half game out of the playoffs, believe it or not, uh, are the Orioles. But the Red Sox are last. you got to take care of business against a team like that, and the Marlins are a solid team this weekend. you got to take care of some business there. Uh, as well, if you want to keep pace, I mean, you still have one of the best records in baseball. You just happen to be behind the Mets, who have a really good record uh, out there as well. I, I, I'm excited to see what this kid Grissom can do because I think, much like Michael Harris, it's not just for what happens tonight or the next couple of ball games. It is when September rolls around and you think Ozzie Albies is coming back, or even when RC is coming back. Does he stay in the lineup? Can he play in left field? Is he doing enough to keep his bat uh, in the lineup? We'll find out. Coming up here in just a little bit. Appreciate D. Orlando Ledbetter joining us. Clay Helton, Georgia Southern head football coach, joined us. Shane Beamer, South Carolina head football coach, uh, joined us back in hour number one. Rich Styles for joining us as well. If you missed any of that, ESPNCoastal.com. Go to our YouTube page at ESPN Coastal on YouTube, and you can catch all of those uh, interviews right there uh, at ESPN Coastal on YouTube. We'll see you tomorrow. Braves and Red Sox coming up next.